changing. Dynasty and Hotel will not be seen tonight, but will return next week at their regular times. Stay tuned now for the following Christmas Eve special. That's wonderful. for the whole family. I want to start blasting by the 24th. Oil drilling on the North Pole. There's a very good chance you're going to blow up Santa Claus. Two minutes. Without help, this Christmas could be history. No one beats us. Art Carney. Oh, oh, they're starting a dynamite again. Jacqueline Smith and Paul Williams race to rescue St. Nick. One minute, 30 seconds. Is it curtains for the clauses or the night they saved Christmas? Terminate the countdown. Eight, seven, next, six. like Christmas everywhere Blake goes <laughs> not yet go to the 5 and 10 see if people even know what a 5 and 10 is and what does that even mean yeah, well, how, who's t- giving you 5 for a 10 oh, uh, or a 5 and dime the 5 and dime who knows what a 5 and dime is anymore Or now, I wonder why they I guess maybe because 5 is just shorter you know, if you're going to go 5 and 10 and you're going to go the extent to go 5 and dime yeah. Did anybody ever call it a nickel and dime? Well, I've heard, like, don't nickel and dime me, right? I you guess, heard of that? but is that... And he was nickel and dime me. <laughs> is that, <laughs> is that, <laughs> is that, is that a reference to a store, though? It could very well be. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know about the five and... And then what's the Schwab's? You know the old Schwab's drugstore? Schwab. You know, I like the idea of, if we take it back in the Wayback Machine, if you think about the old um, Norman Rockwell paintings that, you know, the you go into the chemist... The pharmacy, mm-hmm. and you get you go in there, and that's like the hangout. You, you know, if you're not going to a bar or the library back then, you go into your pharmacy to yeah, get your. That's where the soda jerk exactly, was. Exactly the soda pop, you, and then it also had a telephone. Probably had a Western Union in there. Had like a bar where you can sit down and have your soda, or maybe get like something to eat. You know, maybe like an apple pie or some sort of ice cream. Yeah, and then you know, soda jerker will be like. You know, make you like a like a root beer float or something, or or even like a an egg cream, yeah, or a banana split. You know, get a banana split for my baby and a glass of plain water for me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's all gone. I remember, uh, I remember growing up um, back uh, in my day. <laughs> yeah, from uh, when I used to bike around on my Huffy. That used to be uh, on the other side of the cemetery that I bring up a lot. There was an old store there that was a pharmacy at one time that people had taken over, and then sometimes it would be closed, and then somebody else would try to open it, and it wouldn't survive. And uh, one of the early conceptions of it opening when I was in that neighborhood was that like someone tried to keep it kind of um, pharmacy-like. Yeah, like retro pharmacy. Yeah, so they had like one shelf area that was all retro shit, like arsenic and like formaldehyde <laughs> and all kinds of the old prescription, you know, uh, you know, radium, like all this kind of stuff. Laudanum. Yeah, you know, all this stuff that you could get, you know. Uh, that was behind glass, and then um, then the 
then they, it closed, and it, it briefly was a comic book store that closed. And then when I left, when I, my parents moved out of the neighborhood, it was a Italian market that had like you can get subs there and you so know an Italian and, pharmacy. Yeah, it's an Italian. <laughs> hey, <laughs> whatever <laughs> else, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna fix whatever else. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to do it for you, too. Whatever, <laughs> babe. Yeah, put, a little, put a little gravy on. Let me show you. How's your box? Everything good. So, um, but then, and then, where we used to live in Yonkers, when we shared an apartment together, there was a chemist, uh, a chemist there. I was like 100 years old that I still go to now. I started, you know, because it was, it's a family owned business. It's over 100 years old. And then yeah. I liked it, you know, uh, it's not like going to like a CVS or a chain pharmacy because everyone knows your name. They know what's going on. You want to go where people <laughs> know <laughs> you. <laughs> people are all the same. That was tears. was about a pharmacy. <laughs> yeah, about a pharmacy. <laughs> hey, hey, there you go. Let's reboot it. You know, it's like, it's, it's, it's here, here's your log line. It's like, you're, it's a struggling pharmacy. You know, it's it's been in the family for three generations, and you have it. If it's if if it's a comedy, we're gonna have old granddad paid played by like Burgess Meredith sitting there making like obscene jokes the entire episode. Mm-hmm. So he'll sit in the corner or like in the chair, and he's the chemist. And then, you know, you're trying to you don't you you're coming back from college, right? <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to you know you want to go make something that you leave, you don't want to be in the family business. Yeah, but then your dad's like, so maybe something tragic happens. You could have it be like your mom dies in the in the pilot. Mm-hmm. And then you got to try to like in the pilot, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? So then you have a single parent. So it's like maybe it's you, your dad, and your grandfather, and your grandfather is acting crazy. And then, then it's it's almost like maybe a Bob Newhart show. You have all these p- crazy people come over and trying to get. I need my pills. You know, has a shovel. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Sitcom gold. There. People. What's it called? What's it called? It's called um, chemists, <laughs> chemistry, chemists. The, Merc, the the chemists, I don't know something. Pharmacy, something, pharmacy, something chemistry. Rx MD geriatrics, or or uh, <laughs> <laughs> we're we're, we're Ram. Welcome to the to Saturday night movie sleepovers. We're in the final stretch. We're both really tired. Um, Blake fell asleep on me when I started setting the equipment up. It's been a long, yeah, long year, long long year. <laughs> You know, we started drinking early. You know what happened was um, got that broke that nog out. That's what I was gonna say. <laughs> Christmas is coming so earlier that that you know Thanksgiving just ended, and I got some holiday nog. For, uh, you know that they, they were selling that I've been aging in the fridge, and then we added some our own little. Uh, well, I guess maybe I just spiked mine. <laughs> I could have spiked yours. Man. That's why you fell asleep. <laughs> Damn. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Like a mega jolt. Cola. Make a jolt nog float <laughs> <laughs> with a with a big scoop of vanilla ice cream on top. That's absolutely disgusting. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, like Laverne and Shirley, she always used to drink Pepsi and milk. Yeah, that's weird. Carbonate. It's like bicarbonate. I guess egg eggnog and mega jolt colas. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't really. Um, maybe somebody. Maybe that strikes somebody's fancy. Well, it's like a root beer float, or it's one of those. Kind of, because that's you're adding you're add, uh, you're adding carbonation to that, yeah, aren't you? But you're also adding the taste of cola to, to what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. But in the original ingredient of a, of a of a float, right? You're adding you're adding seltzer, maybe, right? Like some sort of. Well, that's like an carb- egg. That's like an egg cream. Okay. A float is that's like is a, like root beer with with ice cream. In the, it. Now we're getting old school. And since we're on this conversation, I, I can I you know you watch those old. You know, 30s or 40s movies where they go into a pharmacy to get a root beer float and they're like, "Give me a buttermilk," and you're just drinking like buttermilk straight as a drink. (laughs) 
You know, you ever seen that? Like people, you know, I don't, that's a drink that no one really gets anymore because I think that's, I don't even know what butter, that's a form of pasteurized. Yeah, I don't know the process. You know, I only knew butter. But they still make it, you know, pancakes. Yeah, pancakes. Yeah, but I mean, but largely, I guess, because people are health conscious now. People aren't just, you know, shotgun (laughs) drinking down a a glass of buttermilk. Yeah, glass of heavy cream. (laughs) It's really heavy. Just hold everything else off. And maybe you can whisk it on top and make it a little, I don't know. But um, so we're, we, we've had this long year. Of a lot of stuff has gone on. We've had a lot of uh, parental interruptions. Yeah. Uh, classic my dad coming in, scaring the crap out of us. That surprised a lot of listeners out there. And then we had a bunch of great movies this year. We've done a lot of uh, classics, a lot of anniversaries. Last week. Uh, we didn't mention with Grumpy Old Men that was the 25th anniversary of Grumpy Old Men. Oh, there you go. 1993 to 2018. We got so good at celebrating anniversaries. <laughs> we don't even realize. We don't even try anymore. Yeah. It just happens. Which is, we're not even um, shooting shit up our own. <laughs> <laughs> shooting shit up. Shooting shit up our own asses. <laughs> uh, that's really. <laughs> it's like, that's messy. Yeah. Uh, we got to put down some something on the rug. Uh, we. Didn't, sometimes don't even realize that we'll, we'll cover something and then it's it's like the year of 2017 the entire catalog was all <laughs> 30 40 20 year old movies we didn't even realize that we're, we're until we started doing them the day of so we've covered a lot of um anniversaries this 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 uh this season so far and uh now we're getting into christmas time and um we got another another last year we did uh what lethal weapon we did the 30th, 1987 to 2017, and now yeah. this year we're doing another action-packed surprise Christmas. Following Joel Silver's career, didn't he do Lethal Weapon? I think he might have did. I think he might have done. And then he produced this baby. Yeah, uh, we're doing Die Hard from 1988. I'd say this is probably one of the more requested movies. Have we had people request? I feel like I've heard people. Yeah, people have requested, especially around this time of year. People are, "Are you doing Die Hard? Are you yeah. doing Die Hard?" Full disclosure: I would have thought that uh, Lethal Weapon would have been, uh, you know, received better. We didn't get as Nobody many people. Nobody gave a crap about Lethal Weapon. Yeah, which is weird because I we thought had Lethal two Weapon. listeners. You yeah. and me, the only two yeah. listeners. And my Lethal mom Weapon. accidentally downloaded it. <laughs> she She's was like, trying What's to. This? Yeah, <laughs> she was downloading some spyware <laughs> by accident. <laughs> And some ransomware, and she accidentally downloaded. Then our our cast started playing. Yeah, and your dad. You guys it, swear on this? Your dad thought it was the movie. Yeah, and that was very disappointed. <laughs> yeah, oh the fuck! Let you tape over my lethal weapon. <laughs> Who's who, who wants to hear you guys talk about lethal weapon? What the hell? What? What's the point? Are you guys like doing a radio play? That would be cool. For us to do a diehard radio play, <laughs> leave a weapon. We yeah, just, we got, <laughs> in 2019. We're changing the, the format, format of the show where we do two man radio plays of sleepover classes, and then it'd be great right here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh, that'd be fantastic. Uh, anyway, good night, uh, folks. Yeah, good night. <laughs> It'll take a lot of modification, I think, uh, for us to to to. We have to do some added adapting. You know, because we can't do it long. Because <laughs> there's two ways to go. That you're either doing two characters, yeah, or the, or you and I are playing like a whole crap load <laughs> of characters, <laughs> which we which is hard to record live to tape. Get down to a science like the old days where we're doing it live. That's what I'm saying. How are you gonna do it live? And then, and then but then when they were doing it live, you had two dozen people helping. That's you. what I mean. We have to it's just the two of us have to assemble a crew. Yeah, that'd be weird. And then but be a lot of sh- quiet. <laughs> A lot of people walking around and stuff. Some foley stuff. guys yeah. and gals. Imagine that. 
That'd be so cool. <laughs> Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers <laughs> <Yeah>. Theater presents. <laughs> but first, brought to you by Pepsi. Die Hard. Die Hard. The Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers version of Die Hard. It's like Jay Blake and Dion. The 35 minute version of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's so nice of you to come to Nakatomi <laughs> Plaza. <laughs> Let me just open this door. Yeah. Wow. How was the flight? It was good. Wow. I'm so glad you got the time off from you being an NYPD police <laughs> officer. Wow. Well, I'm so glad you invited me to this Christmas party. Oh, hello. Hi. This is Mr. Nakatomi. I'm Mr. Nakatomi. How are you? Oh. Uh, you guys celebrate Christmas in Japan? No, but we didn't win the war either. We won with cassette tapes. Ha, 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 ha. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Where did my husband go? We'll be back to die on. <laughs> but first, here's a commercial. Uh, there, that's act one. Ah, uh, I'm taking my shoes off. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. going to make fists with my toes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, so Die Hard. Um, this is a, a a big movie because it started a whole bunch of other movies. This is one of those ones where I remember Die Hard. I didn't see Die Hard when it came out in the theater, and for some reason, I feel like I missed Die Hard. Um, I guess it came out July of '88, and uh, you know it's a Christmas movie of '88, and then. Uh, at the time, my family's part of like the Columbia House video series. Mm-hmm. You know, you get them. So I remember getting the catalog in the mail. Yeah. And the catalog being the cover, 20th Century Fox. You know, then you see the cover of you know Nakatomi Plaza with his head there, and that, and then that's and then I started opening up and turning it, and maybe one of the pictures what is, is him this running across. Die hard. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what is this movie? I don't see with this guy in his you know uh, white beater at his building. Yeah. So I guess I didn't see it until uh, on video. Um, and I don't remember the first time seeing it, but I do remember liking it so much that, you know, I I knew it by heart, at least the the middle to the end. You yeah. know what I mean? The parts that I watched once, I think, you know, um, Han showed up with his with his with his gang up until the end. I knew all that and the music cues and the you know that. And it's this kind of doesn't this start taking us away from the exaggerated um, ultra-violence of the 80s with, you know, the uh, Chuck Norris, Schwarzenegger, Stallone, um, Fair, and kind of start going? I mean, you then also on a side street have, like, the martial art Van Dams and Dolph yeah. Lundgrens and Steven Seagal's, but this kind of takes it a little more grounds, th- these kind of action movies in a semi-reality uh, and this sets a bar that I guess you can kind of say, like, say, The Matrix did did ten years later or whatever. Where now you get Jesus. There's movies everywhere uh, into the '90s of this kind of subgenre. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is. I mean, honestly, and I don't know how our listeners are going to feel about it, um, but this movie is in the realm of the kinds of movies we typically do. Or, the, or, or that our show is kind of known for. I'd say this movie is as important as something like Star Wars. You know, it's like it's it's like top tier in terms of like eighty nine's Batman <laughs> importance. You yeah. know, of you know the kinds of movies that we grew up with that we feel, think nostalgically nostalgically about the kinds of movies that you know we think about as maybe sleepover movies or the kinds of movies that. Typical 
the, the stereotypical listener of Saturday Night Movie Sleepers would would, would want to hear about. This is, I mean, this is huge. This is, you're right. It, it's getting away from the Schwarzenegger commando type stuff. It's putting an everyman into the role of the hero again. And then the fact that with, it's... With flaws, like... Yeah, but also just like a, not man. a big muscly... Yeah. Uh, a sinewy. You know, he gets hurt. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, he gets the crap kicked out of him in this movie. I mean, yeah. he perseveres. Yeah. But he's not invincible. Yeah. And then... Uh, and then the fact that it spawned an entire genre... You know, yeah. when we were talking, when we four did- sequels to this, right, or three f- sequels to this film alone? No, there's more than that. There's because two, three, then there's four, there's five. Yeah, there's at least there's five because yeah. there's the, the Live Free Die Hard, and then there was one more after that. Yeah, the Russian it was in Russia. The Russian a couple years ago. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, he he got stuck in Russia and had to get out of Russia with his son. Yeah, uh, and then you know we've talked about and then it spawned a genre. You think yeah, we've talked about you know I think. Probably just a few weeks ago when we did, or a month or so ago when we did Dawn of the Dead, you know, we probably talked about the importance of George Romero's contribution to pop culture and everything with Night of the Living Dead. I'd yeah. Say that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say that this is not quite as important, but I'd say it gets pretty close. For It's like the 80s equivalent of that. Yeah, and you know, twenty years later, you know, this is eighty-eight. That was sixty-eight. This certainly doesn't have the social commentary. That's something that like, like that Night of the Living Dead had, but it spawned. I mean, I made a list of just movies that are of this genre, and I don't know. There's the, the, unfortunately the list got cut off, but there's at least there's like you know, yeah, Under Siege, fifteen, what is twenty that? movies. You know? a, under Siege, uh, I figured at some point we'll, we'll we'll talk about all these our, things. Our, our list of uh, speed of the classics: Die Hard on a bus, Passenger Fifty Seven, Die Hard on a plane. Sudden but it death. changed action movies. Yeah, you know, it definitely it moved action movies into a different uh, direction. And it took I took like. Um, you you had movies in the past where you had like the ambiguous terrorist as the bad guy, you know, Black Sunday from like seventy five or six that Thomas Harris wrote, and then you you take it, and this was the first where you had like that menace of the Eastern European, maybe German terrorist who's going to try to take something over, and then like you're yeah, there's one guy who is fallible who's going to now just uh, barely survive the night, and that seems like that's part of the um, the the schematic as well as having the uh, one guy taking on a freaking army of of trained experts. You might even get the scene where um, you know someone talks him up, like, "Do you know who you're taking on?" It's like like the Rambo's thing, but it's certainly this is something where uh, I mean, it kind of wasn't seen before. You know, it was different enough, and then you attach it to a holiday movie. You make it on Christmas Eve. In, in L.A., and that, that adheres itself. I mean, Lethal Weapon, the same thing. Lethal Weapon's kind of, they, they set it at Christmas. It's it's an interesting uh, sub-genre. We were talking last year 
Uh, yeah, I posed the question. Why did? Why is this? Yeah, why, why so do we have take place at Christmas? You have action movies take place at Christmas. You have comedies take place in Christmas. And then you have older movies. Um, they don't really do so much anymore. But there's a lot of older movies that I'm fans of that like uh, comedies, romantic comedies, um, feel good kind of movies. You know, though they're they're set at Christmas too. So you do have this this Christmas as a as a backdrop, and I think I don't remember because I should have listened to it. But we did we talk about our speculation was maybe because we all share in the holiday yeah, season, so maybe that's it, why. Because I remember I po- we had a discussion about it because I think I posed the question like, what is it about this juxtaposition that seems to be popular? Yeah, because I mean, there's also that kind of subgenre of horror movies that take place yeah at Christmas. They kind of started because of Halloween, but even Black Christmas was before Halloween. Yeah. But then you get like Black Christmas, and you get Silent Night, Deadly Night, and I guess it's just you know it's supposed to be this joyous, family-driven time, carefree, giving, and then you know it just it seems the perfect a perfect time for conflict. Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. It, it it set you put a Christmas tree like Rambo, <laughs> you know, Lethal Weapon. Uh, and then certainly older movies, you get thrillers. Like I said, you get some kind of feel-good movies. You get romantic comedies. And then when you get into the 70s, you get some, like you're saying, horror. And then when you get into the 80s, you get some action. Yeah. You know, And I guess that's also where the genres are going. You know, earlier in the in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, you know, when romantic comedies are big or these other kind of movies, the Frank Capra movies, and then as you wind up until the 60s and 70s horror is getting big so you have a couple horror movies in the 80s it's action movies and then by the 90s I mean you, then you get again you get the classic comedies that are along and then also you get the movies I mean there's a difference I think between like a movie like Love Actually which is like endeared itself to like women as a as a Christmas movie but then that being a love story but then there's also movies that adhere itself to kids and I don't mean like a kid's movie like The Grinch is still Christmas. I mean like Christmas stories like that's kind of a kid's movie in a way. But then it's I also mean it's about a kid. Yeah, but it's a yeah, so it's I guess that's good because the the, the lead character is the age you are when you see it like as yeah. a child. So well, that, you think now if we, if they were home go, alone if they were going to remake reboot Christmas story. Well, they did it on uh, on Broadway. But if they were going to do a new a musical, movie, it would take place in the 80s. Yeah, it probably would, and then it's, and then it's probably the fight of because um, in the eighties is when you start seeing the uh, well, this is could be a conversation when we get to Christmas story, but eighties is when you see the Blake and I growing up, we had a gun aisle in our toy stores. It was awesome. You yeah. go there and you'd have like a wooden rifle, a carbine, freaking bolt yeah, in the eighties. It'd be like I want my the BB gun. I'd be like, all right, yeah, here you are, <laughs> here you go, son. yeah, here you go, you know. Uh, I remember my friend Martin, um, I bring up quite frequently, he, he saved up $50, and his goal was, you know, we had like a, uh, uh, what do you call one of those, Spo- like a sporting goods stores. I don't think it sold guns. It might have sold shotguns, but, you know, nothing else. And that, that, that came into, like, the local plaza, and we went there, and then it had, like, the BB gun and the, the, the knife section. So my goal was I wanted to get myself, like, a MacGyver Swiss Army knife. Martin wants to get himself a freaking, you know, uh, visual, looks like a forty-five caliber freaking, you know, visual, <laughs> you know, correct gun. And, and his brother ended up buying it for him, gave him the 50 bucks. And then, you know, Martin's hiding this thing. 
he's got like a like a, a, a what do you call that a, a visually real looking freaking 45 with and then uh, automatic and you know you have you put the co2 cartridge and then he's he's putting it in his waist coach you know band and his and then we're going around to like the then we're trying to shoot animals and stuff and I was like I'm not even leaving you know shooting bottles and all that kind of a thing but it's like so there's like a fascination with that kind of a thing I don't know why we're going down to oh so to reboot Christmas story nowadays yeah it'd be like 80s it'd be weird it, I mean even you reboot this now Die Hard and not reboot if you remade the original movie now yeah you know what it, I guess it could take place it wouldn't have to take place in the 80s I guess the, the niche with Christmas story was that it was like a guy looking, looking back. back at his childhood yeah, yeah and then being very nostalgic for that era of uh that is a, was a bygone era N- now you know it's weird because we just brought this up a couple weeks ago where people are now being nostalgic for the 80s and soon does that mean they're going to be nostalgic for the 90s and jesus you know and then you're out of ideas when you're nostalgic for the odds you know <laughs> back in 2000 wow man, you know why 2k baby yeah we don't watch nothing for prior to <laughs> 2000 so die hard um i I think Bruce Willis, and for me, was relatively unknown. I mean, I know he was doing Moonlighting. Moonlighting was big, maybe on ABC with um, what's her face, Sybil Shepherd. Sybil Shepherd, uh, uh, and I, I don't think, sadly, I've heard it's an amazing show, and I don't think I've ever seen a full episode of it. I've probably seen one full episode, but it was just on like late, like at ten o'clock at night. It was a weird time. So I never caught it, and then it never really ran in syndication where I was able to see it. I know people who love the show. Uh, a friend of mine actually has given me all the episodes, like on MP3 form, that because he had gotten digital copies and I paid for him for him, and you know he gave me the copies, you know. But I've never sat and watched them all, and but I, it's a, it, I think Moonlighting has a cult following. You know, yeah, I would assume so. I mean, it was pretty big. I remember. I think my dad watched it, so I remember it. And he's like for, a PI, right? The sure. two of them, they're, they're they're like private detectives. Him and Civil Shepherd, something like that. Yeah, and I, I remember. Uh, I think it was Anchor Bay released them on DVD years and years ago, and they had a recall on something that I owned. I think it was like Opera from, by Dario Argento. Oh. And we just he, spoke about Dojo. He needed to send them back the disc. There was a, f- it was faulty, and then well, they sent you, they sent you a, a disc, disc five of them. <laughs> <laughs> they sent me, you know, the new opera disc <clears throat> to, to my recollection, and then they sent me like for my trouble, the pilot. Of Moonlighting. Of Moonlighting. Oh, that's pretty cool. Which had audio commentary by Bruce Willis. Really? <laughs> yeah. Of well, I guess whenever they put it out. Yeah. You know. So, I mean, I feel like I might have watched that. Um, and it was big because Sybil Shepard was, she had made her fame in the 70s. She's in what, Last Picture Show. She's in Taxi Driver. So she's kind of like, she, I think, is the one helming the project. Oh, yeah. I mean, and then you get this the really good-looking guy. You know, uh, Bruce Willis, you know, he was an actor in New York. He actually bartended. Well, he grew up in Jersey, right? He was born in Germany because I think his father was a soldier maybe or something, and then his mother was maybe German. He was yeah. in, in, at a, maybe on an Air Force base, an Army base in Germany, and I don't think he grew They don't think he grew up yeah, in New York, just, but as an actor, I think he was living in New York trying to be an actor. He he bartended. Well, in, he, I'm sorry. He grew up. He was born in Germany, but very quickly he moved to the States, and he grew up in the States in Jersey. Yeah, and I think he was a Jersey yeah. guy. But as an actor, he bartended in, I think he bartended in a, bar in my neighborhood there's people i know that used to work in the bar with him oh really uh and i think also john goodman also worked there 
That would make sense because I, I heard they were friends in barkeeps, and that's if you look at the, what that's like the early '80s because Goodman at that time he's like in Chud and he's doing some little roles. You'll see him in Revenge of the Nerds. Revenge of the Nerds. I remember. Uh, I, I'm not a huge. I haven't seen every episode of Miami Vice, the TV show, but I do remember Bruce Willis's episode of Miami Vice where he's the bad guy. Then spoiler alert: like at the end of that episode, he gets shot. I think like on like the uh, it's one of those. Uh, classic endings where he shot like going up the like the the steps to like the court, you know, what I mean, <laughs> handcuffs, you know, something like that. Yeah. But he's I remember him being a real dick in that show, and that's like eighty five, eighty six. What's the movie he did with Kim Basinger? Was that before this or after this? Is that the one where he's the date? It's a date, first it's a date, date, maybe, maybe? It's blind date, blind. Yeah, like that, that sounds like it. And he's standing on the cover like with a shirt half button all disheveled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that mixed up with the. Uh, there's another movie with um. Dan Aykroyd. No, <laughs> no, but it's a blind date. It, it, it's whatever, first date or blind date. I think it might be that movie yeah. where like, the guy's name's like Frank McHugh or something. There's also like a Tony <clears throat> Danza movie that, that might have had a similar cover. Hollywood Nights. <laughs> I don't know if it was Hollywood. It might have been Hollywood No, Nights. I don't think it's Hollywood Nights. Hollywood Nights, Tim and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer like smiling on the cover. Ain't Michelle Pfeiffer in Hollywood Nights? I don't know. Uh, so Bruce Willis is doing that in the 80s, and he's, you know, and, and then... Um, this is interesting too because we did Bullet a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago now, and I forgot to bring up in Bullet um, because I talked the entire time that in uh, Bullet is 1968. Uh, in the same time in 68, there's a movie. Bullet takes place in San Francisco. There's a movie in New York that that's called The Detective that that's made the same year that also has Jacqueline Bissett and Robert Duvall in it, who are also in Bullet. They're in this movie called The Detective. That's. Uh, I think we talked about the detective. Well, we, I know we talked about it when we did Dirty Harry. That's what, yeah. I brought it up a lot on Dirty Harry, but I was calling it Tony Rome by accident in Dirty Harry. And then if you listen to the Dirty Harry cast, there's the opening, the little uh, trailer before our podcast is of the detective. And what's important about this is there's a guy, Broderick Thorpe. He writes a book in 1966 called The Detective, that's made into this movie in 1968, starring Frank Sinatra as uh, maybe Joe Leland or John Leland, the detective. Uh, in it, and uh, it's controversial for the time because it, it, it it's about. So we, I guess we might have because I watched it for bullets, so maybe we did bring. We it did up. bring it up because I also talked. I remember talking about how it's like the, there was a that lot of, Mia Farrow was supposed to be in it. Yes, she and, was working on Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, you're right, and then that's what that's why they got it. They divorced. Yeah, and that. then and then uh, Jacqueline Bissett is hired, and she actually has that same Mia Farrow era haircut, where she has this beautiful long hair and bullet, and then she's got that kind of like short girl like pixie yeah kind of like you see audrey hepburn doing in the same era uh and robert duvall being the taxi driver and bullet he's also one of these cops who's kind of an asshole and and um uh what do you call it uh the detective also uh it's the first role of um of what's his name tom atkins in in the detective. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he, I think, accidentally shoots somebody, and then uh, he's like a rookie, and Frank Sinatra starts laying into him. I think that's what it is. He's like, you shot the wrong, you know what the hell, <laughs> you know. So this movie, where's your mustache, what kid? The, yeah, I don't recognize you, um, baby. Uh, so it's been there's, a while. I yeah. don't remember if he has a mustache. Or not. I don't think he is. He's young. You know, it's, it's a mustacheless, so I can't trust him. And Tom Atkins. So there's a. Uh, let's see. So this movie comes out in '68, The Detective, and then uh, uh, Broderick Thorpe writes a um, a sequel to The Detective with Leland, and I think it's called uh, what? Nothing lasts forever, or the the name of the darn the, the, the nothing old, lasts forever. Yeah. And I, I don't. Nineteen seventy nine. So that's when he writes it, right? Yeah. So I I hear that 
Eastwood gets the rights to that, and Eastwood's thinking of, re- uh, of making this movie. That never really pans out, but this movie's stuck in development for a couple years, and uh, it's basically this plot that Die Hard is, where it's uh-huh. this, where this, it's the Sinatra character. He might be a little older because Sinatra in, in the detective is like, ah, you know, he's like a middle-aged cop. You know, he's been there for a while. He's seen it all. You know, so if you take it to be 10 years later than from when uh, Thorpe wrote the book in 66, if it's 79, then maybe he's like retiring. Yeah. So he goes out west to visit his daughter, I guess at a Christmas party, right? Maybe it's something like... Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I do know that allegedly the book, the story for the book was inspired by... Uh, Towering Inferno, yeah, which was another yeah. sleepover movie from way back in the early days of Saturday Night Movie Sleepover that we covered. Yeah, uh, and that and because it's funny because at the end of this movie, Die Hard, when we were watching it, uh, like especially the end when the, with the whole explosion on the rooftop and all that, it had you know kind of like uh, shades of Towering Inferno when the water is sure. coming down, the elevator doors opening. All we need is like, like them trying to you know get that that chair thing to get people out you know yeah well you know the the one the a beautiful blend of those two movies is the recent movie skyscraper with oh with the rock with Dwayne Dwayne the rock <laughs> Dwayne yeah the the rock who supposedly went to my middle school uh I've haven't seen there's a couple of his movies I've slept on uh in the past couple of years that I really wanted to see didn't he do another one where it's like the 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 geological faults Oh yeah, I didn't it's like an earthquake, one. but that looked great. Where it's like he's like on a seismic, he's like on the Marion Strait or whatever you call that, you know? The, yeah, yeah. And, and like it's cracking, he's like jumping over it. <laughs> <laughs> I saw, I did see the one, the, the skyscraper one. Yeah, and it's a combination I saw that of at the movies. It was <laughs> an uh, opening. I was the first <laughs> opening, ticket, first screen. Actually, I think it was the only person in the theater. It wasn't opening day. It was uh, had been out for a while. I, I think I had a day off of work for some reason, and I was like, I'm going to fucking movies, man. Yeah, I, I was like, what's fine? I was like, I'll go see. The Go see The Rock. Yeah, of course. Always um, good. And I remember coming out, and I think I was telling my dad about it. He's like, well, how was it? And I was like, it's absolutely ridiculous, but totally worth watching. <laughs> that's, that's, hey, that's, that's great in my <laughs> opinion. Totally entertaining. And it's, it, what is that's kind of like a towering inferno meets a... Uh, yeah, what's, what's he's up? a security guy. Like, he... Uh, not a security guard, but like a guy that helps develop security systems, and he gets hired to develop the security system in this big building, and he takes his family to the building and then lo and behold the building gets take, taken over and he's a vet and he's missing a leg missing a leg yeah so he's got a prosthetic leg oh is, is he got a pig leg no, he and he's not leg. even in the building yeah he's got to get into the building to save his family and so that does seem but like but it's a, like the building is on fire and 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 is crumbling it, around him as he's trying to do it. What's the what ha, what what is the catalyst for that happening? Is there is it the building taken over or is it the uh, West World? I think it's a robbery. Oh, okay. So it's yeah. not like a natural disaster and the building locks down. No, no. But I think it's a it's like arson to mm. create a distraction. Oh, to for to to do a robbery. To my recollection. And this is basically Die Hard is basically just a bank heist movie. You know, well, yeah, in you know, that's the thing that I kind of forget about it. Yeah, because you get so used to this the Die Hard formula and yeah it's always in my mind it's always like a bunch of terrorists take over a thing and it's like it's not terrorists and he, they, they even joke about that like who's that people terrorists it's, it's right yeah, they're not terrorists <laughs> <Charleston has> <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's great <laughs> like, 
playing against Well, you know, we're a little early for this, but I was casting it for my mind, and I was thinking, would Vincent Price be a good Hans Gruber in the 50s? And then would, like, opposite Kurt Douglas being like uh, Bruce Willis. But you're right. If you play against type, you have Chuck Heston, you know, like, uh, I'm going to... That's James James Mason would be good. I'm going to count to three. His name is Bill Clay. Clay! Bill Clay! (laughs) Yes. Give me my detonators. Um, Where are the detonators? Yeah, I'm going to count to three. <laughs> there will not be a four. <laughs> Give me the code. And then it's funny to be <laughs> that be a joke Hello, cowboy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. The, the sunset with Grace <laughs> Kelly. That's. I'm sorry. That joined James Mason. That's. I'm just, it'd be funny too because we're going down a rabbit hole. But a lot of times in the old, um, especially Charlton Heston movies, were like Touch of Evil. He's playing. He's like. I'm, he's a Mexican. Yeah. He's a Mexican. <laughs> My name is what's his name? I'm Vargas, and I'm Mexican, but he's not Mexican. <laughs> no. He's, he's just a brown face with a mustache. Yeah. And the same thing with Burt Lancaster in the train. John Fankenheimer. It's like I'm French. And it's like, you're not French. Everyone else around you has four <laughs> French. But it's like a decision they made. So that would be hilarious in our version. He's German. Chuck Heston, he, I'm, I'm, I'm Chuck Heston. I'm German. And everyone else is like, you know, he's like, that's right. Well, I remember when I was watching uh, The Invisible Agent. Is that the third or whatever? Yeah, Invisible Peter Lorre. With Peter Lorre. But it's like, it's, it's like Nazi Germany. Yeah, and, and Peter Lorre's in it, who's German as a Japanese, but he's playing a Japanese. Guy. And <laughs> he's the only he's, he's the, the only, only German guy in the movie. Yeah. Every all the he speaks ger- fluent German. He's Austrian or whatever. He speaks fluent German, <laughs> but he's he's, uh, he's playing a Japanese. The, man. All the all the all the German people are played by British guys. Yeah, and then the one guy who is actually the closest thing to a German they guy. They put him in. And I don't think they do much uh, no. makeup. They give him like round glasses that you know, and he, yeah. and then he just it's kind of like what's his face. Um, uh, the first, uh, uh, oh my gosh, I can't think of his name. The first Charlie Chan, um, Warner Olin. They just, you know, he's Swedish, and all they really did was just kind of, uh, you know, do some makeup and that's, or just accentuate, you know, with no, yeah, yeah. no kind of like fake eye, you know. Anyway, so yeah, that'll be <laughs> yeah, we're, whatever. We're all over the place. <laughs> so Chuck Heston playing, uh, but so this is basically a bank heist movie. Yeah, right. And apparently that is a device that was brought in by McTiernan. Yeah, which we should, you know, I you know I like to run down the the sleepover uh, resumes. This is this is the people. director, John McTiernan. I don't really know what yeah. happened to McTiernan. I mean, he did but some, Predator, some right? great movies. I mean, did Predator. Yeah. And then he did this. Predator, yeah. obviously, we did on the show. And this is a, Predator's a year before, 87. So he's coming off the success of 80, uh, Predator, which we, you're right, we just did last year, if you guys yeah. want to. That was our anniversary episode of our friendship. Uh, so the, August, probably. Yeah, August of 2017, we did our awesome Predator episode. But he does that. That movie's freaking huge with Schwarzenegger. And then next year, it's like he's doing Die Hard. Yeah, Hunter. and he does Hunt for the Red October. Yeah. He does Medicine Man with Sean Connery. <laughs> oh, I, I, I have the key to the business. The twins now I lost. You ever lose anything like your car keys? That's the only thing I remember. And then what's her face in that too, right? She's like, my Gary God, Brocco, I'm sorry. <laughs> Cameron, we, we need that money, Cameron. I'm sorry. <laughs> you have a whore living in your building. And I think he did sorry. Last Action Hero, which we almost did. Yeah, we almost did. Instead, we did Total Recall. We decided to do Total Recall last yeah. minute. Yeah, last little little switching up. We were Dan. Dan was taking the VHS cassette off the of the of the video of the shelf. Of the shelf. 
and he was right next to it because it's a Schwarzenegger section. Yeah, it was. It, it was totally. <laughs> I go, hey, how about this? Because it was put back in the wrong place. If had that not happened, we would have been doing like Jingle All the Way or whatever else came out right around uh, Last Action Hero. But McTiernan, I always thought, man, John McTiernan did Predator and Die Hard. What else is anything else? Uh, I mean, I'm sure there is, but there's anything? other stuff. But the, those are the big, the ones of note. For yeah. Me. For our audience, <laughs> for, for, for people, then he did like the Thirteenth Warrior or whatever. Oh, with, with I never saw that, but that was supposed to be very good. I think he might have done that. Yeah, but uh, but to, I mean, coming out with some heavy hitters right there. Hunt for Red October, which is the first adaptation of um, Tom Clancy, Jack Ryan. That's uh, Alec Baldwin playing Jack Ryan. Yeah, uh, and then Sean Connery as a Russian. <laughs> as a Russian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Again, I'm Russian. <laughs> Yes. Uh, We're going to go down and Sam Neill's like, you're not Russian. <laughs> I am Russian. Hey, but he had a sweet haircut in that. Yeah. I used to always say, like, is that his real hair? And, you know, Blake's like, that's not his real hair. That's not his real hair. That's a, and then, then we started getting into the whole Thunderbolt. And then we watched Madison Man at the other one. Is that his real hair? <laughs> no, that's not <laughs> the his long real hair. Mullety pony. Yeah, thing that's awesome in that thing, too. And then we watched uh, <laughs> Highlander. I'm like, is that his real hair? <laughs> <laughs> He's like, that's not it yet. <laughs> the MS, that is real hair. And then we watch, we watch, um, uh, uh, what's, what's, what's the one in, what's the one in Japan? <laughs> oh, uh, what is the name of that movie? <laughs> With Wesley Snipes? Is no, it? no, that's great. That's Rising Sun. I'm talking about the, ja- uh, the James Bond. Oh, yeah, yeah. What's that? Uh, oh. Nothing lasts forever. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh,. Diamonds are forever, living daylights. No, you only live twice. No. Uh, but anyway, then I said to him, is that his real hair? <laughs> Into Japan. He's like, no, that's that's actually Asian <laughs> face. That's bad. That's yellow face. That's him in yellow face. Yeah. Ah. Um, so the book that Broderick uh, Thorpe writes, there's not a lot that's, that's really different, funny enough, from the original script here where it's, uh, you know, we said that the, the, the cop is older, but they change it, you know, to, to Bruce Willis, but he's visiting his daughter. Um, her la- who her name is Stephanie Leland Gennaro in the <laughs> original book, so they changed Leland. Leland, the Sinatra character, uh, that becomes McLean uh, for our purposes here, and then she's working at a uh, oil company. So she's so Takagi uh, was originally a VP of sales named Riviera, and and then it ends ends up there's no FBI involved, but it ends up being a guy named. Uh, Anton Little Tony Gruber uh, takes over the building, and his and Han, and the other guy, his right hand man is Hans, and his brother's Carl in the movie, and they take it over to uncover some sort of. It's there's like a West German radical group. They they're the the oil companies, uh, I think, facilitating some sale of illegal arms. It's one of these kind of to some sort of radical terrorist group, and then I think these terrorists take over the company to try to show that this company is not a. Uh, is not all it says to be. So it takes place over three days, and basically uh, the older cop has to defend himself and do what we see in Die Hard. And then it ends in, on Christmas morning, and the ending of the book is that uh, Leland, the cop, shoots Anton Gruber, and Anton is about to fall out of a window, but he grabs on to uh, Leland's daughter, Gennaro's watch, and pulls her out of the building and kills her, and that's the end of the book. That his daughter dies because Gruber takes him. Spoiler with alert! Spoiler alert! If you go back and read, um, nothing lasts forever. So nothing lasts forever <laughs> in the cold November rain. It's not when you need some time on your own. So what ends up happening is uh, 
this book comes out. I hear Eastwood gets attached to it because Eastwood's around that age, uh, 1980. He's 50 years old. This sounds like it could be a property for him. It languishes. Uh, then we talked about, we did the Commando podcast with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Well, That's isn't a there big some hit. Kind of, there's some kind of contractual obligation that they have to offer it to Sinatra? Yeah. So <coughs> they end up saying, hey, we can, we can take this. And we can turn this into a, a movie for for uh, a sequel to Commando, since since that was good. Schwarzenegger's like, no, I don't want to do a sequel to, to Commando. We don't want to. Turn well, there's there's a there's the interesting thing about this movie is, as I'm digging into research before I came over, there's a lot of contradictory information. Yeah. So uh, apparently, because Sinatra played him in the in the detective that this character they need they needed to offer it to him yeah and he declined yeah i heard that yes eastwood was interested and maybe even owned the rights to it for a while i heard that uh then they thought maybe they would do it as a sequel to commando but apparently that's just a rumor yeah because then somebody because then the writer who i think might have written both commando and this uh denied it he said said, no that's not true um, but I could see why that could be a plausible, you know, story in Hollywood where they're, you know, uh, Schwarzenegger's doing really good. Terminator was a big hit. Conan's a big hit. Commando's <coughs> a big hit. Hey, let's do a sequel with John Matrix, and we could take this and reformulate it to be Matrix stuck in it. And then Schwarzenegger's yeah. like, no. Well, when we did Total Recall. Oh, we were talking about my er- Minority, minority report. report. They had originally started developing Minority Report off the heels of Total Recall to be a Schwarzenegger to be a sequel yeah. where he would play the same character they would just rejigger the al- film yeah Dick. alter the story for Minority Report to have it star from the Quaid or whatever yeah uh, so we get to hear where uh, yeah they're, they're putting this in production and at some point they have to ask Sinatra Sinatra's in his what late 70s by the 80s uh, he's not really acting much. He shows up on like an episode of Ma- uh, Magnum PI because he was a big Magnum PI yeah, fan. So he just of who's the boss? He just called up Bert. Uh, what's his face? Um, Tom um, Bert Reynolds is not Bert Reynolds. Tom Selleck. Tom Selleck is like I'm coming on, baby. You <laughs> 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 see him fly over. You know, he's in, is he an episode of Who's the Boss? He's in an episode of Who's the Boss as Sinatra. Or I just think as? he's Sinatra. Oh, yeah. Yeah. is it because I you know who did that a lot? The Cosby Show with like Stevie Wonder. Yeah, yeah. The BB King would show up and or Dre Charles. Sometimes it wasn't them, but sometimes that's it, cool when it was them. Um, so Sinatra declines, says, you know, no, no thanks. And then they're looking at other people. They, they, you know, rumor is they offer it to, like, Richard Gere. Big, says, no. a big what-if you know, scenario for this movie. First, it's, like, top-tier guys, Sly Stallone, Richard Gere. Um, uh, we said Schwarzenegger. They say no, and then they say when you get to TV, they offer it to Richard Dean Anderson from MacGyver. Yeah. Or, no, they consider. I don't know if they offer. Because this sounds like everyone's denying it. I think the first three people, Sly denies yeah. it. Schwarzenegger denies it. Harrison Ford. Denies it. I heard, uh, you said Richard Gere, Burt Reynolds, I heard. Yeah. Uh, TV-wise, I heard Don Johnson. Yeah, because he's on Miami Vice. They consider him. Yeah. And, and at this Richard time, Dean he, Anderson. 87, uh, he's doing G.I. Joe the movie, Don Johnson. And then... Uh, Speaking of uh, him, Alexander Gudinoff, the ballet dancer turned Carl in this movie, Long Blonde Here, wouldn't he be a great nemesis enforcer for our live action <laughs> version of... Uh, he's dead now, but I was, th- I was thinking that on the way over here. Um, so they offer, uh, they offer to... They consider Richard, D- Richard uh, Dean Anderson, they consider Don Johnson, and then uh, they start thinking about Bruce Willis, but I guess Bruce Willis is all really only 
big at the time since he's on Moonlighting. He's kind of like a comedic actor, even yeah. though he had done one-offs. Like I said, he was a bad guy in Miami Vice, whatever. So the studio is kind of hesitant on kind of casting him. Um, I think it's serendipitous. It's pretty funny that we, by chance, on the Dirty Harry podcast and on the Bullet podcast, we're talking about the detective, this kind of obscure, good but obscure Sinatra movie, and uh, how it comes around and becomes a part of this, that this that's the sequel to this movie. You know, because I don't think that's a well... like. In the Sinatra catalog, you know, maybe here from here to eternity, you know, Manchurian Candidate, but he made a whole crap like you know Von Ryan's Express. Yeah, made tons of movies. The First Deadly Sin. So the Detective, I don't, you know, it, or the Tony Rome series may not be on the first. Yeah, list it's of also people. you know, it's a little bit later. Yeah, sixty-eight. It's also dark. You it's know. like it has a lot of homosexual kind of uh, scandalous a plot where there's. People. What had somebody talked about it because it had something to do with. That they originally were gonna maybe thinking about having him in Dirty Harry. Well, yeah, the the idea was that he had done the detective when we did Dirty Harry's podcast. He did the detective, and then that Dirty Harry, that dirty. Then there's even even a promo poster that they had engineered of him in a trench coat, and and it's a it's kind of like one of those industry things they yeah to get buzz, and it's and it says you know it's a little Dirty Harry poster of Sinatra, but Sinatra. Uh, he suffers a hand injury, which <coughs> I found out during the Dirty Harry podcast. I read people were slagging him off, saying it was an injury because he was doing something disgusting with himself. And I'm like, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. But after we did the he Dirty hurt Harry, himself doing something, yeah, sexual to himself, yeah. and then he sprained his hand. But since then, I read an actual more plausible reason. I forget what it was. He broke his hand doing something, and then it's because that he couldn't, you know, uh, shoot a gun. And it wouldn't have worked in the filming schedule. So that's why he says he bows out of Dirty Harry. You know, and then the story is that, you know, they offered to John Wayne. He says no. Paul Newman says no. But maybe try Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood had already said no to it. But said, hey, you know what? I'm doing something. You know, I want to get out of my universal contract. I'm my own guy. I'm trying to get a piece thing together. So he ends up taking Dirty Harry. But they consider Sinatra because Sinatra is they does a serious movie like The Detective. And he does a couple. Then you get into the 70s. He does a movie called Contract on Cherry Street, which is a TV movie. TV movies were big in the 70s. Our man Randy Jurgensen's in that. And that's also the first role and appearance of Robert Davi. And I've met Robert Davi several times at my day job. And I actually, one day I was talking to a friend of mine in the green room about Joe Spinell. And Robert Davi's like, what do you know about Joe Spinell? And I go, you know who Joe Spinell is? He goes, I know, of course. I know. He goes, yeah, I, I was on an episode of The Equalizer with Joe Spinell. <laughs> I go, oh, you were? <laughs> you know, and I guess he used to play baseball with Joe Spinell. You know, people used to go up and play, like, you know, the, whatever, the acting league or whatever. Yeah. They have a baseball games in Central Park. Um, but then we started talking about Joe Spinell, and then he, then Robert Davi brought up to me about contract on Cherry Street and uh, how he first met Sinatra on that, because then he has the connection of that with Sinatra, because now Robert Davi sings. Yeah. And those does those Sinatra Robert Davi sings. <laughs> That's it. <you> know, <laughs> ring a ding ding. Are you listening? But he does like this Sinatra kind of, and he's got a beautiful. We talked. We did Robert Davi on the Goonies yeah. earlier this year, and we, you know, he has a he is an operatic voice. He was trained in, so he's very good at it. So he was. I was chatting with him about the because he was promoting that first. Was that 2011 or 12? His first Sinatra style album. Uh, and I was chatting with him about that. And he was saying, oh, you know, he first met Sinatra on contract on Cherry, Cherry Street. But that's a, might be a true story, but that's a cop, New York City cop um, movie with maybe two and a half hours where it's like a dirty cop. It's based off a book. And I think Sinatra wasn't acting at the time. And he only came out and did that movie because his mother, Dolly Sinatra, liked the book. 
So she's like, you know, Frankie, do this movie as a, you know, of this book as a movie, and you know, TV movies were big at the time. But that's that's him playing a cop, Sinatra, going yeah. down the Sinatra alley. So you could see why they're thinking of maybe that's, you know, that Sinatra could play Dirty Harry, or maybe it'd be a very different movie if they did this in the '70s, Towering Inferno style, with what's his face, Irwin Allen, helming it, <laughs> you know, and having yeah. That. See, that's another thing. Then in the '70s, who would you have play Hans Gruber? Because I think if we did, I guess you could. Nah, no, I don't think. Kurt, I don't think Charlton Heston would be good in the 70s. I think he'd be like good 50s, 60s, you know, Hans Gruber. I love the idea of taking Charlton Heston and flipping the script like you take with um, uh, Henry Fond and, and uh, Good in the um, Once Upon a Time in the West, or you do Boys from Brazil with, um, with uh, what's his face, uh, Gregory Peck. Have the, you know, the, the yeah. guy you always know who's good play a bad guy. So I think that would have been quite successful. I don't know. We have to think by the end of the episode, come up with who would be a good heavy. But I did find I seventies heavy. You know, again, everything that I find on the online, I always like it's alleged. Yeah. But I did find an interesting what if for Alan Rickman. Yeah. I heard that originally they approached Sam Neill. I heard that too, and that would make sense because Sam Neill is um, at that time. What did we just say? Sam Neill's in. He was in something. Uh, we just made a joke about it, and I said Sam Neill. Oh, oh, he's in Humphrey at October, nineteen ninety. Yeah. You know, I mean, what's he doing in the? I don't know what he's doing in the mid late eighties. He did the Entity. Is he in the? Or what's the? What's the? Ha- ha- the haunted. The the possession. He's in possession. What he year did is that? The, the third Omen movie. Yeah, where he's the kid, but that's like the early eighties, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know what he's doing around eighty eight. And still, I love Sam Neill. That would have been a really interesting Yeah, and I wonder what the reason, you can't say, well, he wasn't big enough at the time, because in all intents and purposes, this is Alan Rickman's first movie. <laughs> yeah, so. You know, and in not taking anything away from him, he's, you know, probably makes this movie halfway, you know, his performance. But going back to what I was saying before, you know, this idea of them doing a heist as opposed to being terrorists is something that John McTiernan, apparently McTiernan turned down doing it. Apparently, you know, Predator was a hit. So once that happens, you kind of can do whatever you want, you know, immediately after. And apparently he had turned this down a few times because he didn't want to do, this was supposed to be their big summer action movie. Yeah. And he's like, there's nothing, you know, big summer action movies got to be fun and there's nothing fun about terrorism. Yeah. So, and this is funny because, on first glance, it sounds like he's being like assy. But then, if you read into it, what he's saying, he's kind of right. Where it's like, it'd be too heavy-handed if it's just actual terrorists doing it for terror, yeah, traditional it terrorist would just reasons. Be scary. Yeah. You wouldn't. <clears throat> you wouldn't. There's something about you need to root for the bad guy. Yeah. Of. Yeah. And Alan Rickman's great. And but you, it, if it's the doing, IRA or something, where they're yeah. doing a heist. You could have an audience kind of on on one level be rooting that they succeed. Yeah. Whereas if all they're doing is just like killing people. For political <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, it's kind of, we understand your cause, but we can't really root for you. You know, you know. So when he finally came around and said, well, look, I, I, would, I would be into doing this movie, but can we change it? from being a, a terrorist organization to being <laughs> Cobra <laughs> <laughs> to just to them just stealing some bonds or whatever uh, and I think it's kind of a stroke of genius because it does add this it does exactly what he wants it to do I think you yeah. know in my mind when you haven't seen it for a long time you're just like oh they're terrorists 
But they're not. They're pretending to be terrorists to end up pulling off this heist. And it's brilliant, too, because if you know it, I never really picked up on it uh, on a point like that, but he does say that at the beginning. Who says he laughs? Who says we're terrorists? And then he starts making all these cockamamie demands, which is he just trying to buy himself time. And then he's connected to that, oh, I forget the name of the the West German... uh, you know, the, the terrorist syndicate that put out the communique to say that he's left, you know, whatever they're called, the Angels of Tomorrow, some kind of weird name. And then the whole time it's under the guise that he's going to be asking ransom demands. I mean, I also, the hard thing about this movie for younger audiences too is that, you know, you have the big specter of 9-11. And, yeah. you know, 9-11 kind of changed everything, of course, but in the for our purposes in the, the realm of movies, you know, prior to 9-11, terrorism for the most part was always I mean you had it, it's I guess it's it seems like it's been in cinema since you, know, you have Delta Force in the 80s that's kind of based off a real incident where like you know an Israeli passenger plane was taken well yeah well that's you know, the thing Black is Sunday you know for the most part up until this point terrorism in movies in, in movies but also you know in pop in news you know there were of course you had like the Oklahoma bombing and you had like these that's terror these or terror yeah. There were things happening, but you know, you did have it was like they were mostly like hostage situations. Yeah, but, well, know, because you to... never thought of it, it was hostage situations that would go wrong. You have like Munich with the Olympics in '72 yeah. or so. You've have, you know, I think Thomas uh, Harris who wrote Black Sunday, who goes on to write the Sons of the Lamb series. Um, he's really being very visionary with his because that's a plot where they're going to go blow up. They want to kill a lot of people to make a statement uh kind of sadly what 9-11 in real life ends up being and their idea is to blow up the super bowl you know and it sounds like a fantastical plot but if you watch uh or read black sunday it's kind of plausible how they try to do it yeah um and you know into the 80s you get like the delta force you know or someone kidnaps it takes a plane over you know magnum force the second dirty harry there's a beginning where there's a you know a plane height you know always the, the the plane jackings were always like hey I have a bunch of hostages. Take me to like some sort of South American country where I can. I want to ransom, and I'm going to go to a country that won't deport me or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know. And then when you get into the '80s, you have like um, there are movies prior to 9/11, like Arlington Road. That's about like domestic terrorism where they're blowing up stuff. And remember, they try to frame Jeff Bridges in it. Well, that's the '90s, right? Yeah, that's like '98 or '99, I think. Yeah. Um, and then you have like Patriot Games. It's kind of about the IRA, which is the second Tom Clancy, um, Jack Ryan. So you have like you know a lot of the IRA is big, in the, especially in England in, in the '70s and '80s, the Sinn Fein and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. So you have a lot of these. Uh, these causes we did sorcerer last year sorcerer has the beginning where one of the guys who's part of the team is a is he was he a pakistani maybe he's blowing up the synagogue in in israel yeah you know at the beginning of that so you have those so you have that kind of asset with like the freedom fighters or fighting for religion you know and then you sat not you don't satirize it but you it's easy to take them and have them be the ambiguous villain in a movie, especially in this context where on first glance there are a bunch of German quote-unquote terrorists that are going to go do something. But really, the big joke on everybody is they're masquerading. They're just thieves taking yeah. barrel bonds, and they're going to get out before anyone even realizes it, and they don't have any kind of like political terrorist kind of demands or beliefs. Now, uh, in the interest of, you know, like I said, resumes, we have uh, produced by Lawrence Gordon and Joel Silver. Yeah. Now, they both produced... <clears throat> A lot of uh, 
Walter Hill's early film. So, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Lawrence Gordon did like Hard Times and nice. The Driver nice. and Warriors. Nice. Uh, him and Joel Silver did 48 Hours. I think uh, maybe Joel Silver didn't do that one, but uh, Lawrence Gordon also did Streets, uh, Streets of Fire. He wanted to do Brewster's Millions. Nice. Jumping Jack Flash. Uh, Predator. Lock Up. One nice. of my favorite Stallone yeah. movies. Field of Dreams. K9. Rocketeer. Event Horizon. So some classics Same there. Same deal there. Uh, Joel Silver did Commando, Lethal Weapon, Action Jackson, Roadhouse, and The Matrix. Uh, the screenwriters, Stephen E. DeSouza. Yep. 48 Hours, Commando, Jumpin' Jack Flash, The Running Man, Hudson Hawk. Wow. Ricochet. Dice. Love Ricochet. Uh, Beverly Hills Cops 2 and 3. He did Street Fighter with Jean-Claude Van Damme, Judge Dredd, and knockoff my favorite yeah <laughs> uh, van damme movie and the other writer jeb stewart did leviathan next of kin uh lock up yeah another 48 hours in the fugitive wow and uh the music is michael Kamen, who we talked about uh early really early in the year first episode when we did he did the music for highlander okay uh he did a lot of stuff unfortunately he's no longer with us but did he do uh, um terminator no no he didn't do terminator I forget what's his name that did. Um, I thought it was Cayman, but I'm I'm mistaken. Um, there's a lot of great B sides. I mean, next to Kins, that's an early. Um, uh, what's his face? Um, Liam Neeson is in that. I think it's, isn't that that's um, from Roadhouse. That's what's his face, Patrick Swayze. Swayze. You know, and maybe even um, I might be th- remembering wrong, but uh, Sam Elliott might be in that. But there's a lot of, a lot of good action, like solid genre yeah, action I mean, movies at that uh, time. You know. the, the, this, the people that made this movie are a sleepover movie tour de force. Yeah, and if you t- if you take all those names separately, you can take in we can on our wall over here. We can start taking our yarn, and we can go to like we could we did the Warriors. You know, yeah, we just yeah. talked about Forty Hours last week, two weeks ago, or a month ago, and we did Coming to America. We did uh, you know uh, a couple of other ones. You know, they're all kind of it's it's again we keep saying this, but it's so interesting when we see all these movies kind of interconnect. Yeah, you know, De Souza says too that he w- when he was writing this. The, the screenplay which is interesting supposedly he says that he kind of wrote it as almost uh, as Hans Gruber being the protagonist you know because if it wasn't for you know um, the robbery and you know Bruce Willis going to the party and not reconciling with his wife everything wouldn't have happened that so he kind of like it's it's almost Hans Gruber's story is, is yeah. you know and I mean to a certain extent that's interesting because you know if you bad the actors always say one that it's always like you you've mentioned before that it's fun playing the bad guy but then also they always say that you know when you're playing the bad guy it's fun when you realize that the bad guy doesn't realize he's the bad guy he's just playing it because he's he, he you can if you can justify how the bad guy's feeling yeah. it's much more interesting so but in this scenario yeah i think the normally like yeah like the bad guy is the hero of his story in his own mind yeah, yeah. but in this it's like he is just a robbing a bank, and he doesn't seem to have any other like ulterior or like higher. No oh, motive. Yeah, and there's no other. Yeah, he's not trying to. In a way, it's like you know. this is like the what makes Hans Gruber interesting is that like yes, he's the hero in his own story, but at the same time, he 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 has to know that like what he's doing is not. Well, he's trying. There's to, nothing noble about what he's doing. At least with in a terror with a terrorist, you know. 
in you their minds, yeah, you there's, could a, say there's, there's, a, a, there's a cause. Yeah, have it be religion, political, Here or whatever. It's really just like petty. It's monetary. He's he just, just stealing. He just wants to be rich. Yeah, and, but, he's, but he's playing himself off as this sophisticated, and I'm not saying he isn't sophisticated. I mean, I know all the lines in this movie. He says, like, nice suit, you know, uh, rumored Arafat buys his there. He talks about Forbes. You know, I read the article in Forbes. When I was little, I never knew what that meant. Forbes, I thought it meant he read it like line by line, and then I realized as I got older, oh, Forbes was a guy who had a th- you know who had a um, you know a big uh, magazine about rich people, and then I've met Forbes several times. So it's just it's now it's funny because you don't you, when you're little you don't understand stuff, but you just kind of fill in the blanks. Yeah. Who's Arafat? Then you realize oh Arafat, you know, and then you realize who it is. But he kind of presents himself as uh, very much as like a learned individual, you know, and it's almost like a facade that. It's it's very it's very complicated and intricate because it's almost like he no one ever calls him on his bullshit really except kind of what's her face Gennaro the wife kind of does yeah. and maybe that's the reason why it's kind of like at the end of uh, Dick Tracy when Al Pacino his big boy grabs um, uh, Tess Trueheart and he's like don't you know I love you you know it's like out of left field <laughs> it's almost like you know um, you could tell there's there's a kind of a connection. I mean, it's probably forced because you have to have it in the script. But you know, there's a moment between Hans and and uh, McLean's wife, and then you know she has to start being the the person to barter with him, and then they develop some sort of relationship, a back and forth there, and then at the end she's the leverage because she real he realizes that you know. But there is kind of almost like a tension tension there. You know, what's he going to do to her? Her shirt's a little open at the end of the yeah, movie yeah. with her bra hanging out in the in the crisp 4K version. You know, so it's it's. <laughs> It's interesting because she, I think she even says that to him, like, "Oh, at the end of it, you're, it's nothing but a kind of rock, you know." She says, "You're nothing but a crook or something," and he's yeah. like, "Yeah." He's but he then he's like, "I am a fucking, you know, I'm a great, uh, yeah, I'm a mastermind, you know." And it's true, he suckered everybody, you know. And then he comes in with this, you know, yes, yeah, bunch of nothing German but guys. like a common thief, or yeah. something. He's like, "No, I'm a great thief," yeah. or something to that effect. And he's right, you know. It's it's and and Alan Rickman at this point, it's his first role in a film. He he's 41 or 42 at this point. Uh, in years he's been doing the stage I think for like 20 years or so so he's a very accomplished stage actor and I think what is it McTiernan maybe sees him yeah, in the production or something Silver and McTiernan see him in Dangerous Liaisons or something a play yeah. of that and uh, they just thought he was so great in it that they McTiernan was like this is this is our Hans Gruber yeah I several years ago I went to see a screening and you brought this up on an earlier podcast, and I don't remember which one it was, but it's very funny you br- you you brought this up because we were talking about Bam. So it might have been our stories about how you had that terrible experience with the audience seeing oh, Michael Mann's see keep, keep, yeah. And then I talked about a terrible experience I had seeing Vincent Price's. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry, the return of the, cre- the what is it? The, the creature, creature from the Black Lagoon in 3D. And yeah. then I think this brought up you said you started telling this very hilarious uh, story. So Bam is uh, Brooklyn Academy of Music, and they have. Uh, they uh, they had they do there's a lot of plays and stuff that they do there and occasionally occasionally they'll do a concerts uh, but there's also a section of it that is film related they do film series uh, and I don't remember what year it was but it was like January of whatever year and Alan Rickman was still alive and he was doing a play at BAM and they showed they did a screening of Die Hard. And he introduced it and did a little Q and A at the front of the movie, because I think he had to do the play. Couldn't do a Q and A after the movie. <coughs> and uh, 
I don't really remember too much about it other than that somebody brought, you know, their videos to get. I don't even. That might have been even VHS, but they, they brought stuff to try. They wanted to try to get him to sign it, which I don't think he could because literally, like, he did the Q and A, then he left to go do the play. Yeah, to go do the play. But I do remember the only question I remember: <laughs> some guy raised his hand, and uh, which, by the way, Alan Rickman seemed super nice, and uh, he didn't come off like he does in. Um uh, what's the name of that Galaxy movie? Quest. Yeah, Galaxy <laughs> Quest. You know, he's the annoyed thespian actor. Uh, seemed really cool. Seemed kind of down to earth. Really nice. You know, so this is his first movie. He seemed kind of appreciative of of it, but not. Uh, you know, I don't think he really understood why it was so big. The movie, why, yeah, this movie was so big. But even then, he was trying to like justify it. I don't. The time. I just don't think he really got why it was. You know, why people liked it so much. But somebody raised their hand, and it was totally like fanboy cliche. You know, you can almost hear this guy with a lisp being like, "Excuse me, Mr. Rickman." <laughs> yeah, 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 it's you. <laughs> Uh, but he said, you know, do, in the scene where you're chasing McLean and he goes into the computer room and you notice that the the the, the glass and you tell was Carl. Carl, you he, say Sheenston Finston. He doesn't look at it. You have to say in English, shoot the glass. You say it and then you repeat it again, shoot the glass. Like, what was the moment? Like, why did you say it twice? You know, and uh, there's this big, this guy had like all these theories. I think he even... He speculates to him. Spec- I forget <laughs> why, but he speculates to him, like, why he would have said that. And Alan Kerman says, well, if I did it, it was probably that, written that way in the script. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I just did it because that's the way it was written or that's the way John McTiernan told me to do it. Uh, but I always think it's so funny because this happened recently on Twitter, this idea of, as an audience, we project things. our own, Yeah, our own kind of... We look for meaning in things, and we, and sometimes uh, I forget what movie they were talking about, but I I brought up, I went to go see House of Flying Daggers, uh, some years ago then. Yeah, with us, uh, a Q and A with the director Zhang Mu, I think is his name. At, afterwards, and this is when the movie was out in the theaters. Or I don't think it was screening? out yet. I don't oh. think you know. I think it was like a preview okay. thing, and. Uh, or it's just about to come out. And at the end of that movie, the la- the end fight takes place, in a f- I think, to my recollection, in a field. And then in the middle of the fight, this big snowstorm yeah. comes and lays snow all over the field. And so somebody raised their hand and was like, oh, I loved how at the end of the movie, the snow, to me, the snow means this, this, and this. Uh, but I would love to get your take. Like, why did you have the snowstorm? What does it represent? And he's like, well, we shot that shit, you know, through a translator. We shot that shit. <laughs> he, we, through a tr- through a sh- he's t- discussing this through a translator because it doesn't speak English. He's like, well, we shot that scene over two days. And so we shot the first half of that scene, the fight. And then when we came back the next day, overnight it had snowed. Fuck. So there was snow all over the ground. Yeah. So we had the CGI and the snowstorm. And so I always think it's funny, you know, this idea of, as an audience, we want to speculate. We want to look into meanings. We want to... Create these, <coughs> yeah. And sometimes a snowstorm... Sometimes a snowstorm is just a snowstorm. Yeah, sometimes it just comes in. <laughs> sometimes I, it's an accident. Sometimes it's this. But, uh, yeah, so... Well, it's interesting because, you I, you know, you wonder... I, I'd seen this movie so many times as a kid. 
So, you know, I certainly know Hans's lines line for line. So yeah. that scene where it's like he says that, Carl, she's in Finston, and Carl looks at him, he's like, shoot, it's a glass. It's like, why? You know, I don't know. Maybe, he, I don't know what the guys, I wonder, I would curious what the guys, the fans. Yeah, I don't what his, what his, what his, you know, his, uh, what he thought of in his head was it because Carl was so into the moment, he didn't hear you well, or he's, because Carl, I love, I mean, you, you almost get into cliches here. You have, you know, uh, uh, Alan Rickman's amazing, and you have you you have a right hand guy. This is pure bread and butter for me. Who's the 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 heavy the the, the you know you have like in in Godfather two you have that guy with with um, Michael Corleone down in Cuba who kind of looks like uh, Rondo Hatton from yeah, yeah. you know you don't know who he is. He says no lines and he ends up getting killed in the hospital when there's the big Cuba thing. But I always love that like go um, GI Joe the movie. You have Nemesis Enforcer, the big huge silent guy Rocketeer. You have the guy the lo- the the guy who looks like Rondo Hatton. I forget the guy's name. All henchmen. They all look like, like Rondo Hatton. Uh, he has a name in that like um, I forget the guy's name in, in that um, the rocket. The rocket is the rocket. So you have this guy. Alexander Gudinov, um, and I forgot to do research on him to to to, to just to bring my mind back on all this stuff. But I remember him being—he was like a dancer, and then he—I forget—he died tragically. I don't think it was drug-related; it could have been an illness. Uh, but he had been acting for a while. But you get him to play the part. The only thing I ever remember him in is I think he's at the beginning of the Money Pit. Is he? Yeah, like if it because. That's the only thing I think I know him from, other than this. And what's 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 he doing in the money pit? He there. <laughs> it's at the very beginning, and Tom Hanks doesn't realize he's living with uh, what's her name, Shelley Long. Yes, and they're living in this like New York City apartment, and he doesn't realize that this New York City apartment belongs to her ex-boyfriend, who is uh, who, who's uh, I think a conductor or something. And it's a funny scene because they're sleeping, and then Yakov Shmirnov comes in. He's <laughs> like, like a joke. He's like, "You're still here? What are you? You're supposed to be out." And he's like, "He's coming," because like apparently while he's in tour in Europe, he's letting her use the apartment, and then they have to move out, and that's why they buy the house that they need to fix up for the for the money pit. But he's like her, you know, ex boyfriend, hugely tall. Beautiful ex boyfriend. Does he have the long hair? Who, yeah, who's famous. Yeah, you know. So it's this big, you know, that he's very insecure. Tom Hanks is very insecure because he's looking what she left. This guy for him. In in, in the eighties, as well as you know, it's a little different now, and it probably hey it could come back in style soon. But there was also you know, you if you had long hair, that could have be teased or whatever. You're cool looking, like rock. You know, hair bands of the eighties, leather. Uh, chain mail, all that kind of like that was cool, intimidating looking. So a guy with long hair didn't look like anything but like a real tough guy. So to have this guy play a heavy like this, I think it's pure genius. I've always loved Carl's character and his motivate. He has a great motivation, and you 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 know it's it's something they didn't need to do, but you have. Bruce Willis accidentally kills, well, not accidentally, but kill his brother at the beginning, the first guy he kills, and then for the Oops, whole thing. You know, yeah, no, I didn't. <laughs> and then for the whole thing, it becomes personal for him. And I yeah. love that. It's a personal vendetta that's now just, uh, you know, uh, transcends any kind of monetary gain. He doesn't care about the money or the bearer bonds anymore. He wants to. I, I love that device in it. Dion, can we take a break for a second so that I can talk about something that's been on my mind? Sure, Blake. What's that? Financial security. And now that we're getting a little older, my ignorance about finances and the intimidation that comes with not knowing much about the stock market 
is starting to worry me. It's a bit of a cliche, but you know, there's an app for that. What do you mean? There's an investing app called Robinhood that lets you buy and sell stocks, electronic funds transfers, options, and cryptos. It's a non-intimidating way for stock market newcomers to invest for the first time with true confidence. And there's no commission fees. No commission fees? That's right. Other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, but Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees. So I can trade stocks and keep all my profits. That's awesome. But you know, Dion, I'm not great with all this newfangled app technology. That's okay, because it's easy to use. The charts and market data they supply are easy to understand, and you can place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. And it is intuitive, so you can learn how to invest as you build your portfolio. And here is the best part. Robinhood is giving you and our listeners a free stock, like Apple, Ford, or Sprint, to help you build your portfolio. Wow, that's awesome. Something tells me I should go to saturdaynight.robinhood.com to get started. <laughs> Your instincts are correct, my friend. Go to saturdaynight.robinhood.com to get your free stock and start investing. Today. <laughs> Today. In the morning. So, I mean, the basic plot of the movie, it's, uh, you know, if people don't know, is just that, you know, Bruce Willis is a New York cop who's um, coming out because his wife, I guess they're having... It sounds like they're having marital problems. I love there are movies that we don't explain the plot, and then there's movies that we we go plot for plot. The clearly we go. Um, you know, anybody that's listening to this podcast know has seen Die Hard a million times, but we're still going to. We're going to We're going to tell you what is going on. <laughs> and he's flying from New York to LA to visit his wife, who moved out six months before because she got a big job with uh, with Nakatomi, and uh, she took the kids with him. Her, yeah. And, I mean, that's a hard situation to be in because you think about he's a New York cop. I mean, I guess that's – see, this is something I guess I should know, but I don't know how easy it is to transfer. I mean, you have, like, Richard Belzer in the world of uh, homicide life on the street transferring from Baltimore to New York City to be in Law & Order SVU. So I don't know how realistic or believable that would be for him to, you know, stop being a, a New York City cop or detective and, and then – go to L.A. and try to do that. So if she gets a job where she has to move. Well, he does a... Like he explains to either to... Yeah, later on he says, I wasn't <coughs> taking her career seriously or something. No, but he also explains to... Carl? Not Carl. The, uh, original... Uh, no, the uh, limo driver? Argyle. Or, or Argyle or her. That, you know, she left and... You know, like I had cases that were still open. Oh yeah, and, yeah. He says Argyle, things, yeah. and he's a year of backlog you know. and stuff. I mean, but those kind of sounds like just like excuses. Yeah, you know, but he's still, I could understand oh, that course. you're in the middle of something, or yeah, you're wait, you're you're awaiting he's trial been on, for something that you are involved he's in. He's a cop for eleven years on the force. I mean, there's a great. I was going to get to it later, but there's a great prequel uh, that the comic company Boom put out. Uh, I think it's Boom. Uh, they put out a now you can get it in a graphic novel, but it's called Die Hard Year One, uh, and I think it came out in 2009 to 2010 was the 10 issue run, say, and it's about Bruce Willis as a rookie, and it's pretty good. It looks like Bruce Willis, and it takes place in 1976 on the bicentennial, and it's like I, if I remember correctly, because it's been so long since I read it, it's like there's a ferry and there's people on the ferry that are kind of going to do something terrorism related. Uh, at the in the New York City bicentennial, and he gets on the ferry and he kind of saves the day. But it's exci- It's it's fun. Uh, it's definitely something to check out if you're a fan of the Bruce Willis Sounds franchise. A little bit like Nighthawks. It does sound like Nighthawks. Except with, that uh, was the tr- that was like the it was sky the, tram. Or yeah, whatever. going from the 59th Street Bridge, the thing that at the end of Spider Man. Yeah. Uh, but you know that shows 
he's an 11 year veteran you know he's only got to put 20 in before he gets a pension so it'll be hard you know for whatever reason for him to leave but she opts up moves to LA west coast takes the kids she's been gone 6 months and it's not just to the point now where it's they're having a fight i mean they could be breaking up because she's gone and since she's like a go-getter woman she's taking his name off of stuff she's using her 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 um, maiden name. Yeah, well, I mean, know. she's... She gives oh, an excuse. Because whatever, the Japanese whatever culture. The truth is. Yeah. But clearly, they're estranged because they're like, uh, make up the guest room. I might say where my friends. You, where are you staying? Yeah, yeah. Get in a hotel. So, I mean, they're The kids want to see you there. Yeah, so I'm sure this... The fight of her leaving, her saying, screw you, I'm going to pursue my career, and then her leaving, and then that, you know, distance is definitely strained relationship pre-cell phone mind you which plays a bit into the movie here so it's not like he can be texting her all the time he's got to go to a landline call her or she's not in you know the idea i love the idea with nakatomi um somewhere i read with all the the uh prep for this is that like of course in the 80s the japanese were having a big tech boom and they were taking over a lot of companies here i mean at the time there was even in the 70s uh when they knocked down penn station uh, and they put up the new Penn Station, which now sucks and people hate. They should, you know, they should have protected the the original. There was an, an idea after they did that. They wanted to tear down the Grand Central Terminal, and the Japanese were going to buy and put like huge high rise condos or something over it. And then Jacqueline Onassis came in and saved the Grand Central. And there's a big plaque. But there was an idea where like into the 80s, Japanese were having a great economy, big tech boom. You know, the era of Wall Street. They were coming over buying a lot of stuff. I think they bought some of Rockefeller Center and stuff like that. But they come in and they buy this company this this yeah. whatever this company is is Nakatomi it's much like you know gung ho it's much like gung ho exactly Michael Keaton. which we just brought up uh, a couple weeks ago because love, of the I TV love, pilots yeah and yeah. that cuz i just i love that movie where is that TV pilot box set that has the failed <laughs> pilot to gung, the to gung ho to uh, adventures in babysitting gung ho actually had like 6 episodes Coming to America. before it got canceled still enough, put it on the pi- put it as a special feature Scott Bakula as Michael Keaton in gung ho but so this is the era of you know of Japanese you know their technology's booming and stuff like that you know they're on the forefront with uh you know cassette tape cd players electronics so she's going to become a powerhouse in this company i guess there is a certain extent for in the tr- traditional japanese culture about you know the role of a woman so serbian if you're married so i guess she does have a point where she wants to go by her maiden name so there's no perceived weakness quote unquote yeah. when she's doing say negotiation tactics which kind of sounds like she does with What's his face? The guy um, with the beard. Hey, Hans, Bubby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what I forget his name, but and and that actor, his father was an actor who was actually in the 1968 Frank Sinatra movie, The Detective. Um, all comes full all, you see how see how you know. <laughs> so you see why that you know there's this tension of her. So she, you know he comes over and then uh, coincidentally you know happens on this night where um, you know the, these these quote unquote terrorists take over this building. I love the. The uh, establishing shot of them where you have the moving van on the street, and I love that. It's getting dark, and you see them put the lights on, the headlights, and they turn like, you know, they're coming. And yeah. the, the idea of Argyle, when Argyle picks them up in the limo, that's a kid who was I used to see a lot on the Cosby show in the 80s growing up. I, I actually saw him really young in an episode of Quincy, M.E., um, and then he goes on to be great movie that's near and dear to my heart, an early 90s movie called Trespass with Ice-T, Ice Cube. He's the the heroin addict that gets, I think, everybody in trouble in that. He's like the maybe Ice-T's little brother or somebody's yeah. little brother. And when Bill Paxton and William Sadler get stuck in the condemned building, they have him as a hostage, you know. But uh, 
you know, they put on Run DMC, the Christmas song, uh, Christmas and Hollis Queens, and, it, and it's it's a great little. And then here you go, exposition. You get caught up in that little, you know, idea, exposition of what's going on. At the, at the very beginning of the movie, you see him on the plane. Uh, this goes back to Twilight Zone, the movie, which we keep talking about. Because in the remake of Twilight Zone, the movie, at the end of that, the John Lithgow scene, um, John Lithgow grabs the gun from the, the cop or the private investigator to shoot out the glass to try to kill the gremlin on the wing. Yeah. And this was the time where I guess they would still allow police officers, at least domestically, to be able to travel with their weapon on them. Yeah. So you have Bruce Willis has his Beretta on him. And, you know, he's like, don't worry, I'm a cop. It's okay, you know. <laughs> and that guy that's sitting next to him, um, he's an actor who I know, but, uh, you know, he, he's doing a little cameo there. And I feel like I've seen him in a ton of other things, but I couldn't place what his, what his name was. You know that guy? No. At the beginning, and he's got. I, I see him in a movie with like an earring in his ear and being like a real wise cracking asshole that maybe gets knocked out. I, I do a, think the female, blonde female news anchor. Oh, that's what's her face? Train, train, tra, tra, trainer, or trainer, isn't it? Isn't she the mom from uh, Goonies? Yeah, and and Monster Squad, and the psychiatrist in Lethal Weapon. You've got a couple Lethal Weapon alumni here. You have Al Young. Who you met? Yeah, right. He plays the interrogator in *Lethal Weapon*. That's that's electrocuting Mel Gibson. You've got. He's also in *Big Trouble in Little China*. Yeah. Uh, Al Leong, who you met at a convention some years ago. Yeah. And you said that he it, it seemed like not that he was on hard times, but he's gotten older, and it was like he you know there wasn't he selling a lot of stuff, and it's like maybe he's not acting as much anymore because no, he's older. He's, he's older, and he's also like his arm was messed up. Or like just have like a dead hand or something, which didn't seem like it. That would have been a problem. In a stunt because he was, I think, originally a stunt man. Yeah, who so just he had an interesting of... look, and so they just started putting him in things. But like his, he I got had a like, shitload of work though. Yeah, I mean, you know, his arm was messed up. So, and he was an older guy. To then, right? He's yeah. probably like you know. I mean, but older, but really old when I met him. You know, seemed it seemed like he at the very least lived a, lived a hard life. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's what, what, he's born nineteen fifty two. So when you he s- didn't sound. I mean, he. I don't think he was doing great. You know, I, he was selling like an autobiography, but it was like self published or yeah, and you know, didn't look like a real book. I'm sure it's fascinating, but. That would have been something to read to, like, know, you know, you to, to get up on him. You know, it's, like, printed out. <laughs> like, spiral down. <laughs> That's just saying. I mean, it's a... It's, it's handwritten, like, he's copying every... You know, he's handwriting each one. So you have him in it. You have um, she, the news reporter. She plays a psychiatrist and lead the weapon. And then when you have Agents Johnson and Johnson, the younger African-American guy, is one of the team. You mean Johnson? Yeah, Johnson, Agent Johnson, no relation. Um, he's one of the team of, uh, what's his name? Uh, Danny Glover's cops. Because in it's what I always liked about the Lethal Weapon, at least the first two, is that from the first one to the second one, he has his, his team of detectives still. And remember, they all get, spoiler, they all get killed by the German, uh, the South African guys. Yeah. But except, you know, what is it? Uh, Mel Gibson survives, and what's his face gets stuck on a toilet. So he's so you have those lethal weapon connections there, and then uh, where are we going with this? So there's just the whole this 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 the the 
takeover. There's this big conflict of... Uh, you get the black guy from uh, Walker, Texas Ranger. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, what's his name? Theo. You know, and he's kind of a dick in the movie, too. He doesn't really care about what's going on and, and uh, what's happening to... You know, I mean, it doesn't seem like anybody here is having second thoughts. They're all professionals. And, you know, there's no qualms well, about... Well, you know, they're all hired for their particular skills. I think one of the henchmen who... You know, he doesn't have any real lines, but he if he's not him, he looks Vigo. exactly like the guy from Vigo. It is Vigo. And who's also in, in the Mouth of Madness. Yeah, he's the one that's the, that's all beat up with the... the children. Yeah, they ate the from the bar. He rode me this way. <laughs> that's him. Yeah. he's And that's a bang-up year for him because this is 1988, and I think, what... Uh, Ghostbusters 2 is like 89. Yeah. So he gets, they must have saw him in this, and they're like, we love your hair and ponytail. You know, uh, keep it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do anything. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's funny because you're right. They all do have a particular skill set. You know, you have, a, you know, um, he hired a people who either are American or can do a very good, this is within the context of the movie. Um the, the, he, they're either American or can do a really good American accent to be like the guys in the that, that are like the security guys at the desk to hide. You have the the tech the, experts. You have the Huey Lewis looking guy. That's what I'm talking about. The Huey <laughs> Lewis guy. It's funny at the beginning of the movie when um when Bruce Willis goes into the lobby of Nakatomi Plaza and is checking in. There's the guy he talks to the, the, who gets end up getting shot quickly, and his hair. I was like, I can do that with my hair. There's a big poof, and <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah. I, the first thing I said to Blake, I was like, you know, I can do that with my hair. <laughs> You know, but the building's very uh, LCP looking. It's very futuristic. There was an underlining of um, technology, which I didn't really grasp. That I guess that the building's supposed to be run by a computer and all this kind of a thing. And I felt like that was going to be a bigger plot point than it was because they had made the computer room. Like, they, like they wrote the script and they started shooting the movie, but without, I guess, a kind of a real ending yeah. in stone. So that's the reason why, like, when they come in the moving truck. I mean, the, the, the people say that they didn't think about having the ambulance in it till later on. It's not a big on. enough truck to have the ambulance. And then all them in it. But then when you see them coming out, you could see that there is clearly something there under a tarp. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's something hidden. But um, I don't know, it never bothered me. Yeah, yeah. But so it seems like so the 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 super. They also the computer, could have been like the, so far. You could also argue they you know they've thought so far ahead about everything. That they certainly could have planted a truck there that had an ambulance in the back of it. Yeah, just just to hang out, <laughs> just in case for later on, or have it drive in later on in the movie. Have some other guy show up, like you know. But it didn't have to be the truck they showed up. It didn't <clears throat> have to have the ambulance in it. it yeah, could have been another truck. And it's interesting that you know, the, I guess the I felt like the supercomputer was going to play like a bigger role. Like you know, yeah. there's the computer room that he ends up getting, the, you know, the glass shot out in that he gets his feet cut up in. Like that's the that's like the the mainframe area of this computer place. And this, you know, you can easily tell, you know, once they get command of the building, they turn everything. All the things come down. That it's a secure. It's one of these futuristic buildings. It's interesting. The uh, building is the Fox Building that they were still building in L.A. 20th yeah. Century Fox. And uh, I've never been, but uh, it's it. I hear it's exactly the same now to as it was then. And it's in an earlier movie, I think Conquest for Planet of the Apes, the um, roundabout that's in front of the building. I think they used that in the climax of the movie because it kind of looks futuristic. Uh, and you know? it ends up being in other stuff too. Like it's in, I think, Airheads. Yeah. Uh, Fight Club. Yeah. And I think even the beginning of Speed takes place there. Oh, the, the elevator scene is maybe uh, in the... Maybe. Yeah, I wonder... It's been so long since I've seen Speed. Yeah. I should probably check that out again, see how that holds up. Not that it doesn't or does, but um, but it's interesting, yeah. Th- and, and um, uh, you know, so since it was 20th Century Fox's building, it's kind of a stroke of genius that while they're building it, they, they allow themselves to film in it. 
and then they take it as a tax write-off because they just would charge themselves to, to you know, the, the company to film it or rent it, and then yeah. the, the upper floors aren't done. That's where they're able to shoot all that other stuff. And, of course, this is coming off the Twilight Zone tragedy with the Huey killing people so that they have to extensively plan, I think, like six months to use the two Hueys on the, the build, you know, the roof and all that kind of a thing. Um and then, you know, it, you, you get upstairs, you know, he's at the Christmas party and it's one of these wild Christmas parties, which is really, you see why, like, we have <laughs> HR departments nowadays, you know, because, yeah, like, yeah. The, 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 you know, you add alcohol to, like, any kind of work function in, in this day and age is not going to, you know, maybe do well. Maybe that's why some people don't like to have alcohol at, at uh, work functions because you get, like, people are just getting hammered and going off and having sex with each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's like it's, yeah <laughs> i mean really like you know what's his face is doing coke is that even his office he's in there doing coke and like the first open room and, and you know the other ones are busting into the private but they, they're going into the private one that has a bathroom because they're you know they're looking to hook up and yeah you know it's just it's just very all kinds of you know there's another guy remember that's just hammered that like kisses bruce willis on the cheek it's like wow it's a really good time but it's not <laughs> but it's but it's funny because Cutting i'm loose yeah at one level it's like it's supposed to be refined because it's like you know it's it's frank lloyd right back you know it's all very supposed to be look like nice architecturally you have like the classical you know people playing cello and like nice classical yeah, music yeah. but then there's like people are just like blowing out doing keg stands and stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> all kinds of craziness in here um and then you know when they take over the building you know they cut all the, the power lines and all it's, it's the pre-cell phone era so that's it's a lot easier you know i get i think for modern audiences to think you know you know why don't they just take out their cell phones and call like you know text nine one one where it's like this you it's nowadays you'd have to come up with some sort of gimmick for the the like block the signal yeah the cell phones not work or there's no signal or whatever I'm not, I'm not yeah. getting a signal yeah what's, 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 there's whoa. some sort of whoa. <laughs> There's a pulse and uh, yeah Cal Reeves plays <laughs> <laughs> Yippee Kaye he's not coming back um you know it's, it's, the signal's not working. <laughs> Bro. They must have jammed the signal. This is crazy. Maybe if I go out on the ledge <laughs> <laughs> and check out there for reception. I got to clear it. Yeah. Got to get to the next building. Hurry. This is crazy. Um, And then you have the, you know, Han shows up with his guys and then the shit commences. And they all have their little thing about um, doing stuff and, like, what the, their jobs are. Uh and all the little guys are like bit players are really awesome like you have like you know the guy Carl you have his brother his brother it's very Carl. scary looking to me uh, his his brother with those big glasses you know like I'm not going to hurt you it's like he's, <laughs> he's, he yeah. kind of looks like a killer from a, the 80s De Palma movie to me like with the blonde hair and the, you know very good looking blue eyes but then he's like a psycho killer like out of American Psycho I can see that you know um, and then you have you know he, he kind of the the juxtaposition of him then trying to like break up the robbery and it's weird that you think that you haven't really seen this i feel like we've seen this plot before we're just not thinking of like this is like a recycled kind of a idea well the thing is it's so simple yeah that maybe you that's know, the reason that why i'm how thinking could it, how could it not exist before this yeah and, um i feel like we did something well we talked about taking a pelham one two three another t yeah um and you were saying, well, if it, if you're going to go with that, it's the undercover cop on the train 
is the really the drama Clay? If the if the film was told from his point of view, yeah, then that it, then it would be. That reminds me too that we had earlier. Was it this year? or Was it last year that we were having? You were you were situating yourself with every every movie. Well, I Jurassic you, Park. I said Die Hard on an <laughs> Island. You said um, Pay, Taking a Pelham was Die Hard on a subway car, and we had a couple others that you gave example. T- Total Recall was Die Hard on Mars. <laughs> Um, yeah, I got into a Die Hard on. Yeah, like a, taking, a, taking a scenario. Because I'm fascinated by the Die Hard plot. You know, in some ways, you know, you can say that the 80s was this, was the one man versus an army. You know, Rambo, Commando, those kinds of things. Like, the, this was the gen- this was the generation of one man taking on an army. And this is clearly, yes, in in a sense, that. But in another sense, it is also like the most dangerous game in a skyscraper. Yeah, you know he's the he's being hunted. Yeah, um, how does it feel to be hunted? <laughs> I don't know. You should know better. <laughs> you tell me. You tell me. You tell me. You should know better. <laughs> no, I'm, no, no. You should know better. <laughs> no, you really should know because I'm hunting you. <laughs> anyway, uh, and so it's a very simple plot. I mean, it's a very, like, what's going on, the conflict, uh, you know, it, in some sense is taken, you know, is is also very, we did earlier, is this very simple plot that we can totally understand and relate to and empathize with. On a, Of course, it's in, in some sense, in some ways, and in, in my personal opinion, the stakes are higher for Taken. And so like, because it's a daughter, you know, and it's his daughter sex slavery and sex slavery. It seems on a personal level there's more it's more personal. Yeah. In this movie, we have his wife uh she's in danger. She's trying to protect him by concealing who she is. So we also have that uh bit of suspense. I mean, it's just a very beautifully constructed like plot device after plot device to do like this airtight seamless masterwork of narrative you know we have the the one man versus the army of evil but you know unlike Stallone and Schwarzenegger he's even though he's a cop he seems like much more just like a regular guy you know almost in a Hitchcockian way of the everyday guy thrown into an extraordinary circumstance. So like Jimmy Stewart or <laughs> Cary Grant in our in our if so if Hitchcock well, directed this. Yeah. You're Kaye, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> so you have like uh a terrorist taking over the building. <laughs> so if this was Hitchcock directing this in the fifties, it's James Mason as Hans uh, Hans Gruber. Give me the code. You know. Um and then you have, um, <laughs> yeah. And then you have what's her face? Uh, Doris Day can be his wife. Yeah, you know? or it could have been Grace Kelly. Grace Kelly, yeah, like Grace, that. yeah, some blonde. I don't remember what I was watching. It wasn't for <laughs> in preparation for this, but I, you hear these stories, um, and only actresses are coming to mind. I, I'm sure that there are actors that have this kind of a similar story. I've heard it with Sigourney Weaver, and I've heard it with uh, Bonnie Bedelia, who plays Holly in this movie where they thought of themselves as very serious actresses and almost turned down these parts. Some of me for being aliens. Like, I don't want to be in some silly... Like horror. Like horror movie. Science fiction movie. 
and you know she almost turning it down because of like snobbery yeah when that movie made her entire career yeah but you never really i mean we've we've had cited better than we can remember now uh ideas of uh you know would they say stuff like you know the, my biggest regret what's what's the one with um christopher lee halloween yeah. You know, he says his agent never even told him that his agent said no to John Carpenter. So then when Christopher Lee goes and meets John Carpenter some years later, he says, my biggest regret is I turned down Halloween Dr. Loomis because I didn't even know. So there's always, you yeah, know, yeah. You know they, they turn this down or whatever, or, you know. But uh, I remember watching an interview with Bonnie Benalia at some point in the past. And what's she doing now? I don't know. Because she's in the second one, and then she might, her voice might even be in the third one. I don't remember how she drops off. But... She talking about how she almost didn't do it because she was like, I don't want to be in some silly summer action movie. I'm an I'm a thespian, <laughs> you know, and you know, kind of luckily she didn't because I don't know. I, there's at least I I would imagine most people, at least of our generation, this is the only thing I know her from. I know that I know her from the, these two movies because in the second one she's stuck on the airplane with yeah. the reporter and she's like knocks them out again. <laughs> no, she tases him. Yeah, I saw like, that I in don't, theater. I can't off the top of my head. I'm sure I've seen her in other stuff, but off the top of my head, I can't think of anything yeah. else I've ever seen. Well, it's her. like what's her name? We just brought up trainer. You know, I either know her from the mother in Monster Squad, uh, the psychiatrist in Lethal Weapon, and then she's the news reporter. In, I'm sure she's in, in a couple of yeah in Goonies. Oh, that I say she was like the uh, she's not the is she the mom in Lethal uh, um, in Monster Squad or is that yeah, another mom? It's the same mom. Okay, because I feel like it's a different. There's another when, mom that we, I get confused. When we did Goonies, I was like, not only is she, is she the mother of the Goonies, but she's the mother of the and Monster her day job Squad. is she's trying to get Riggs. <laughs> You know, Riggs is a little too emotional on balance. She's got What's that, wrong with Riggs? She's got that 11 o'clock news gig. Yeah, I, she's only doing... <laughs> so she's Very able busy. to have her... Yeah, she's able to have her got life. two families. Yeah, it's tough. One in Seattle, one in Washington State, one in L.A. Um, you know, the surprising thing when I watch this movie now is that it is over two hours long. Uh, not only that, it's like 220, ain't it? Or and it feels it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's... Because there is this aspect of it is that it's like this perfect construction of uh, carefully chosen plot devices and beautifully edited. Everything's so perfect. And then at the end of the day, from today's standards, it does feel like it drags a tad. I, there's nothing in particular that I see things like, oh, uh, you could cut this scene out. But there is... It's fucking long. I think it's the pacing. It almost seems like it takes its time a little more, and I'm not saying that's a complaint. No, it's just, uh, it's know, just an observation. You get used to watching. These, especially nowadays, these movies that are so, you know, so quick and so... I just don't feel like this movie would be too... 15 or whatever it is. No, certainly. And I, and if it was made today. Since we're, I'm, I keep saying full disclosure, I haven't seen the last Die Hard movie, the one that takes place in Russia. Yeah. So I don't know how long that is or how that holds up or whatever. I I ended up actually really liking the la- Good Day to Die Hard. Like I thought like it, like at the beginning something really silly happened. Well, I think that's that one. Which Live one? Free and Die Hard is the one before. 2007's one. The one with Justin Long. Yeah, I felt like something. I like that movie a ton. Yeah, and the bad guy <laughs> in it is in it. Timothy Orphat maybe is the is the is this heavy in it. Oh, elephant. Yeah, elephant. Elephant. I feel like he's <laughs> the elephant. Ol, ol, yeah, or fatter. <laughs> I feel like he's the bad guy, and I feel like something silly happens right at the beginning, and then it's like Oliphant. I get on board. Elephant. Elephant. And I feel like oh, you know. This is going to be, you know, there's no expectation. This is going to be fun. And then I really enjoyed that. And then the last one I just saw looked a little little silly for me even. I you saw know, it at the movies. The last, this last, yeah. 2013? I saw the last 
two at the movies. Love Live Free Die Hard. That's the one I just thought that was fun. Justin Long one. Yeah. yeah. But I saw that at the movies. And honestly, this this last one, I don't remember anything about it. Just a lot of shooting. Yeah. Like, I I don't remember the plot. His, I remember it has something to do with his son. And his son is the guy that plays maybe Riggs. Oh, on this show? On no, the new on the uh, new Lethal Weapon show? No, in uh, Terminator Salvation. Oh, the one that that can't have that that, that his his accent keeps coming out. The one that goes back in time to 1984. Or oh, that guy. Okay, I'm thinking of the 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 other one, the one with the guy who was in um, uh, what's the uh, what's the Jim Cameron movie with uh, all the blue people? Oh, Avatar. Yeah, I remember the guy who can't walk. Yeah, and then he's in that Terminator movie, Salvation. Yeah, which is the one with the it's the new one, G- G- uh, Genesis or G- G- whatever Genesis. that movie. Yeah, is. okay. He plays the Michael. I think he plays the Michael Bean part. Yeah, which but he doesn't play Michael Bean, which pisses me off. He's like, I'm going to play my own part of Kyle Reese. But anyway, yeah, that guy is, is plays. I his think son he, in I it. think he plays his son in it. I, th- I think that might be right. And I don't remember the plot at all. It was completely forgettable. They should have got what's his name from um, Hooper. Hooper, not Hooper. Hooper. <laughs> Hooper. Hooper drives a boat, chief. Or Hooper, Burt Bert Reynolds. Not yeah, Hooper, Burt Reynolds. <laughs> Which coincidentally, Burt Reynolds. Hoop, they, Hooper was uh, produced by Lawrence Gordon, who probably also why produced they, this movie. Probably why Burt Reynolds was in the was in the was eye in here. The Another what if um, on this was Charles Bronson, and I think. You know, Charles Bronson was the on the end of his range. After this, he starts get he gets old and makes a couple more good movies. But he's, you know, he's still doing like the Death Wishes at this point. So he could have, this could have been a movie that was catered to, to to Charles Bronson at the time. It's weird if you see these these people coming in. If it became a Schwarzenegger movie or Stallone, and that would have made it was been it would have been a mega '80s action movie. How would it have fared in the? In the you know in the echelons of history, you know I can't see you if you if you put Charles Bronson or an Eastwood in this part, you know uh, they're going to be tough guys, but they're not on the caliber of like the Schwarzeneggers, you know, where they're you know he can jump off five flights of stairs and roll and be fine or whatever, you know. Yeah, I don't know. It's an interesting point. You know, you don't know like how that casting would have changed things. You know, I how think it would have dumbed it down a little bit. Because it also would have been going at a different audience. Yeah, I mean, it would know? have become like a Running Man or a Demolition Man or a Red Heat or a, not a Cobra, but like that era of those what guys. What I don't understand is what I don't understand is Bruce Willis coming off of television. Yeah, with shooting him concurrently, with shooting Moonlight during the day, Die Hard at night, which is back then still the case, but I think less so now because television with paid services and streaming and HBO, like the the bar has been set higher for television. So I think there's a little less of a divide in terms of movie actors acting movies and TV actors acting TV. And, and only a few in comparison are able to make successfully make that leap across the line from film, from TV to uh, films. But they, all the reports said that he got paid like five million dollars. Yeah, they, they, when everybody was like, "He's a comedic actor. I don't know if he could do this part. He's not well known enough to lead to to 
to carry this movie. And they say they had the original to... posters didn't even really put his face on it because they're like, we're not going to be able to sell this movie on the fact that Bruce Willis is in it. So how did like he's got? He must have had the best agent of all time. And they say they actually had to go to Rupert Murdoch, the head of 20th Century Fox, and 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 he had to okay that salary of five million, and that's unheard of five million in 1987-88 dollars. So it is interesting that's why they $5 would with five million dollars. So it's 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 interesting to think about what what was the I mean, I mean you know, was the if, if he said no if he asked for more money and they said no if he walked what's he got to walk to he's gonna walk back to moonlighting yeah so what's the hey you know you know we we know you want to make this movie you know you and know. apparently like he was miserable on moonlighting because he really wanted to be acting in movies I remember uh, watching an interview with Curtis Armstrong uh, who played Booger <laughs> yeah. in Revenge of the Nerds because he was on moonlighting okay and. He said, Curtis Armstrong was saying that Bruce Willis was always you know, like, what are you doing here? Like, you have, you've been in movies, like, you have a movie career, why are you working on a television show? Like, I was always jealous of Curtis Armstrong, because Curtis Armstrong had been in the Nerds movies, he was in, uh, what's that Tom Cruise movie with Rebecca De Mornay, uh, Risky Business, yeah. you know, he was in movies, and, you know, it, Bruce Willis kind of felt like you're taking a step backwards by doing this television show. Yeah. Uh, and that's like you just were saying, that was kind of the, it's weird, because sometimes you hear that, sometimes you don't, but that was kind of like what people have always, it's always like the, like the redhead bastard stepchild is television, even going back to the 50s and yeah. stuff. You're going to go to TV, no one does TV, you're, or if you go to TV, you're washed up. You know, and then only some people either can transi- transition, be a movie actor, go to TV and have a successful career, or you're saying Bruce Willis, be a TV actor and then have a successful transition to and movies. F- very few people that will make that transition from TV to film will then go back. Yeah. You know, maybe now, like I said, now it's starting to be a little bit different because you have things like, you know, Game of Thrones. As yeah. A, as a, as a but like, TV ju- yeah, show. like you took like George Clooney, <laughs> like he made his things on either. Doing like Facts of Life or whatever, Roseanne, but then he, and then ER. ER, and then when he leaves, I think he may come back and do an episode or two of ER. But yeah, he, a lot of people end up just going, you know, uh, you know, the guys from Friends and all that. They all have had kind of movie careers there. You know, you, you kind of go off unless unless your they're, show not, they're is, not successful as yeah. a film career, or you know? the show they're on has become like an X file. It's a cult show, and that's the reason why they're going to come back is because Twin Peaks or whatever. Yeah. It's a, a show that it's has a cult its phenomenon, yeah, and then that's why you're because you're gonna you know reinstate your characters on that show. So yeah, it's weird to think that he got paid five million for this. <laughs> I mean, because that was when like the biggest stars were getting filmed. paid. That. Like Warren Beatty was getting five million dollars. Yeah, sure that. <laughs> so they were gambling on him, and there was a lot riding on Bruce Willis, and re- yeah, he really comes off. You know, like I mean, at the beginning of this, like it's weird. Bruce Willis, I love Bruce Willis. I, I have no problem with him. I think it's it's very uh successful he's able to keep his career going <coughs> a lot of those guys like Schwarzenegger and Stallone even Eastwood you know they've had lulls in their careers yeah when when their kind of action fear have kind of gone by the wayside Bruce Willis has always kind of kept it going probably I think we've speculated before because he likes to do the crazy parts he'll do earlier this year yeah, we, well, did, we did Fifth Element we did Fifth Element, but we also did the the Sizzler. Um, oh, Color of Night. Color of Night. We did Fifth Element f- like last like, year, like last year, because that was the twentieth f- anniversary, maybe. Of but we had this discussion where he was yeah. he was a big movie star, but then he would do something like Twelve Monkeys, yeah, or, or Pulp Fiction, yeah, Death Becomes Her, or little like little parts, four rooms. He do he take a part on something that may might not, you know, if that. 
if that doesn't do well, he still has these bigger roles. He's yeah, doing, you know. But he was, uh, you know, he was able to like cushion himself with big roles, but be able to pursue interesting projects that were maybe smaller on scale. Yeah, quote unquote artsy films, yeah. you say, or you know, and maybe that's what keeps him apart from those guys that were straight action all the time. You know, straight uh, action all, all the, the time. time. <laughs> Thirteen hours on TBS. Straight action movies. <laughs> <for> guys <laughs> who all like movies. all the time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you have like you know by the end of the the eighty or the nineties, you have like Schwarzenegger doing like a Copland, which is kind of oh, not Schwarzenegger, Stallone. But that, <laughs> <laughs> that one was like two weeks ago. <laughs> Sorry, Schwarzenegger. That's the low part. Would be really interesting. Yeah, it'd probably be like him in that that movie where he played a sheriff a couple of years ago. Oh yeah, you know, which I didn't see, but I hear was terrible. That they people say that he was. It looked like they were taping the rehearsals. Uh, but you know, it's it's kind of like that kind of idea where it's 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 Bruce Willis is able to keep that career going, and it's it, and he didn't suffer from the other guys who you know uh, Van Damme, Seagal kind of fell. You know, I mean, Bruce Willis eventually started doing straight to video movies or straight to DVD, whatever you call it. Yeah, but everybody I, did at that time. Yeah, I mean, he's. I think he's in more straight now. Like he's straight to home video stuff yeah. now than he is in because it's theatrical a, it's stuff. It's a page. He was in the remake of Death Wish, which I haven't seen. Yeah, yet. I haven't seen that yet either. Um, but he's gonna because he because he took that step of doing smaller interesting projects early in his career did like the sixth sense yeah and then did unbreakable, unbreakable. now yeah. he's coming back and he's going to be in all the, re- the, the sequel to the, the new the... glass or whatever that yeah the sequel to that and split and um he's in looper great which movie. is a great movie but also like a quirky lower budget you know sci-fi science fiction like time travel movie he has had a really interesting career and and i don't know i he seems like he could probably be a jerk in real life i don't know uh but i have a lot of respect for like the career choices he's made and the movies he's pursued because not only is pursuing interesting films i think beneficial to his career but it's letting interesting films smaller films get the kind of maybe distribution or the budgets that they normally wouldn't get if his had, name wasn't if he tied. wasn't attached to yeah. it. So in a lot of ways, yes, they're supporting him, but also probably much more so he's supporting them by doing them. Yeah. So I mean that's a great And I don't think I I've never seen that or heard that he would be a guy that comes on and would say that, like, you know, your only your movie's only getting this because of me. He doesn't, you know, seem to be that guy. Well I did hear that uh on striking is a striking distance. Yeah. That on the first day he came out oh, and the crew, he's like, attention everybody, I want everybody to... He's like, there's only one person on this movie that can't be fired, and it's me. <laughs> wow. He came to my... Yeah, now that's a, that's a story. Yeah. You don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's true or not. He came to my job maybe 10 years ago or so, and, uh, you know, although he's upstairs, he's upstairs, and I, I didn't want to go up there and be, you know, I, I try to, if I can, meet people. And uh, a bunch of girls went up, and he was like, okay, ladies, one, you know, one at a time. And there was, like, all these, you know, 20-year-olds wanting to take pictures with him. And, you know, he was nice and took the pictures with him and all that. But, you know, he was kind of, I mean, tr- also the other side of that coin is if you're a freaking sex symbol who's been married to Demi Moore and, you know, can do whatever you want, you, you, you're going to have a little chip on your shoulder. You know, you're a good-looking guy. You know, we saw the color of night. We saw his shimalama ding-dong. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah, like, yeah. you know, so it's like, you know, why not, you know, 
carry that on, you know, be that kind of. But he's, you know, I do give him a lot of credit for doing those projects that he ends up coming to do. He doesn't just stay and do these gazillion dollar movies. And I think without him, you might not have a Pulp Fiction. You know, you might not have a lot of those those other quirky kind of movies that ended up being like a North or, a, you know, those real Mercury Rising. You know, not Mercury Rising. That's just an action. Disney's movie. the kid. Yeah, you know, you have those kind of. <laughs> we- he does those weird. I was called. Look who's Di- talking? You I was know? called Disney's the kid because it was out in the movie theater when I worked at the movie. As theater. Disney's, and yeah. we weren't allowed to call it the kid. You call it Disney's. The it kid. had to be called Disney's the kid. It I wonder like if that the was edict a, came down. Yeah, it was a con- from the studio. They don't want it to be mistaken as something else, you know. And he's a left-hander. You know, I'm left-handed too, so we have to stick up for our fellow. Left-handers. Now, as we kind of insinuated earlier, a couple of things. I want to do before we uh, start to wrap it up because it's getting late. Uh, so one of those contradictory things that I've heard, multiple sources in terms of uh, looking up research, you know, at the end of the movie, they actually did drop Alan Rickman a somewhat significant distance to film that scene, you know, probably in front of a green screen or whatever, but still dropped him to make it look that good. I've heard 20 feet, 40 feet, and 70 feet. Yeah, I would believe more 70 feet because of he goes, you see when he drops, they hold on it a little bit. Yeah. So I would think that would be... But it's also slow motion, and they could also be... At the same time, they could be distancing the camera from him. Oh, like they did in Saboteur. so, So they could be... You know, doubling the distance by pulling the camera out. He's, as falling, he's falling as a, yeah, that's true. Uh, so that that I also found interesting trivial things. Well, they but then they also dropped him. The, the, whoever was holding him, the struck a genius, the stuntman, uh, supposedly. Yeah, dropped him at the wrong time, a bit early. Yeah, so that he so had that he that, got the sh- look of shock know, he wasn't expecting. <laughs> and I got it. You know, you. I, that I mean, if we're going to jump to the end there, that death scene is phenomenal. I mean, I love the whole ending there. You think he, you know, he's got it licked, and then you have him. He's got the bread on his, you know, on on his tape to his back. He shoots the the Huey Lewis guy, and then he shoots Hans. Hans takes his wife, and then you know, and then you it's you see everyone sees outside what's happening from down, you know, the police, and they're looking up, and then it's all that slow motion. It's the fucking yeah. watch. That's, you know, that from the beginning, the yeah, Rolex. Yeah, that Rolex that you know, got. And then when the young clips it, I, oh, I love, you see him, he's coming around with the gun, he's still got the P7 in his hand, and then he just lets go, and he's just, it, and they and I love they hold on it. Yeah. So you have about 20 seconds, like, oh, they actually dropped him from something, you know, and then it's, it's and they shot it like 300 frames a second, so it's brilliant, his death scene. Uh couple of things uh, I was going to do this one uh, trivial thing but this I thought was interesting I found I never really questioned it but apparently there's always been this speculation of how did he know that Alan Rickman was Bill Clay yeah um, this is this is interesting because I remember growing up everyone there's there was there's a lot of speculation there's a lot of speculation all over this movie but there's speculation there where uh, they're they're standing at each other looking at the directories and each one of them can see a directory, and you see Bruce Willis when he says is the name. Bruce Willis looks and checks it and yeah. sees it's on the directory. But then the other thing, are you alluding to with the cigarettes? Uh, I was alluding to apparently, supposedly. It's <laughs> my word. Yeah, so, 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 supposedly. So, supposedly. <laughs> supposedly. Yeah. Uh, there was a scene cut out from early on where. They, the, they all the Alan Rickman had them all synchronize their watches, mm. so we all saw their watches. Later, when Bruce Willis is telling uh, Carl Winslow 
uh, over the walkie-talkie. I shot a kid. You know, they all have, you know, they're they're fancy. You know, even they're, you know, she's like they're classy. He's like, and they all have the same watch. Apparently, it's the and we, you know, there was a joke where he look, he's looking at their watches, and you think after he kills them. Now, apparently, according to uh, the writer De Souza, yeah, it doesn't make sense because they cut out the synchronizing of the watches, so he can't ID him with the watches. He, but. Apparently, it was the McLean sees that he has the watch that the, all the terrorists have, all oh. the robbers have. And that's how he knows that he's not who he says he is. Yeah, see, I had heard that, you know, either it was he's lying about the, 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 the lobby, he's looking at the directory. And then the other thing I read, which... But Bill Clay's on the directory. Yeah. But maybe that's, you know, because it's, it's he can, you know, that because the name is there. You know that that's it's the it's kind of convenient. I thought it was confirmation that. Oh, see, I thought it was like you know he works in that building. Well, the other thing is that he he he, when he hands him he has two cigarettes left. They're foreign cigarettes, and and then I heard that the 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 rumor is that he should make mention. Oh, because I I used to be a cigarette smoker, and for cigarette smokers who know, um, uh, American cigarettes to European cigarettes are very different, and not just with brand, but also how they taste. And you know, even even a pack of Marlboros here and a pack of Marlboros overseas is completely different taste that supposedly if he handed him a French cigarette he would have made mention like oh where did you get this or this is a little harsher who you know he kind of plays it off like Bill Clay and there's a scene which I I watched the trailer after this when you went to the bathroom and the original trailer which then I don't see in any of the uh, notes with all the the you know on the IMDB or Wikipedia that in the trailer there's a scene or two of um, lines that aren't in the movie where there's uh a scene in the trailer of this scene we're talking about, and Bill Clay says to him, uh, "You know, what are you, an American?" And then Bruce Willis replies back, "If you if you count New Jersey as part of America, you know, as, Bruce, as played by <laughs> Keanu Reeves." And I'd never seen that before, so it's one of these things where I, you know, it's I wonder if you were saying that there is more stuff yeah. cut out of that scene. But there's always been a rumor like, how does he know that? Like the Bill Clay, according to the writer, it's you know, the watch. Because if he was wrong. And he gave him his Beretta without any, you know, bullets in it. And then they get into a firefight, and he gets the first. He gets shot right in the head. And he's like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> I, didn't yeah. really, I, I always kind of felt like maybe it's just that it's a test. Yeah, you know, he doesn't know, but this is how he's going to find out. Give him knows. an empty, you know, and t- turning his back on him and seeing how he reacts. Yeah, I mean, and, and they say they put it's a stroke of genius because they say that Alan Rickman had a great American accent, and well, they wanted yeah, to that's highlight the, it. Here's the catch: the contra- yeah. here's another contradictory thing that yeah. I found online. They say they created that scene when they found out that Alan Rickman could do a convincing American accent. Yeah, that that wasn't originally in the movie, but the writer kind of wanted them to have a scene together Which before the I end. I think it you'd, you'd be, works brilliantly to have them have that. And then when they discovered that person. Alan Rickman could do a convincing American accent, they decided to write that scene. On the flip side, I find infor- <laughs> I find information where McTiernan thinks his American accent is awful, mm-hmm. didn't like the scene, shot it three times, trying to get him to sound as American as possible because he kept on th- hearing you know, his other accents coming through. So there's another country like he had such a great American accent that we wrote the scene, but a, you know, apparently there's another story where the director did, doesn't think he has a great American accent. So that can't be only one of them can be true. Yeah. He wouldn't have been like, he has a bad American accent. Let's make that scene. And it's weird because I don't think his accent is that bad. I mean, I don't think no, it's No, I don't great. think it's bad. I mean, but clearly I never noticed it 
it's like, oh, it sounds good, but like, say, like Tim Roth, sometimes I'll hear slip, yeah, quite a bit, you know. So, and then his German accent, I think, is phenomenal. And they say that the other guy that was playing with him, who was German, said that Alan Rickman's German was really good. And then he even says like he got a dialect down, and he says stuff the proper way, like the scene when he says like, I always love building models as a boy like he pronounces it right as someone as with their American as or English as their second language would as opposed to saying like as a kid yeah. or growing up like he says it as the way he would have been taught you know and it's slight like I like the German accent isn't like overbearing or overpowering yeah so when he then when he comes to the American it's completely believable to me that he's like no you know, <laughs> you're one of them so it's like you know and then it is again the the hot hot bed of controversy of how does Bruce Willis know that it's Bill Clay uh, apparently, the term "die hard" doesn't translate very well this into is, other languages. Yeah, this is great. So I, there's some apparently some alternate titles that I there's thought were kind fun, of interesting. Fun alternate t- titles. Uh, apparently, in Spain, it was called "The Crystal Jungle." Yeah, which I think is kind of a cool title. I don't know I what just, that has to do with anything. I was kind of, well. It, it, apparently, the, the writer says somebody says no. It's the if you listen to the commentary, I think it was the the production designer writer. He says that. I mean, this is a jungle picture. I mean, it really, it's just that it takes place. You know, it's like, it's like I said, it's kind of like the most dangerous game. It yeah. just happens to be in a building. It's like you're taking a plot that could be out in the jungle and, and put it in. It's like the concrete jungle. That's almost, thing. that's almost like, um, uh, it's almost like Sorcerer. It's like, how, why was it? Well, it's one of the names <laughs> on the trucks, you know? Uh, and in Poland, it was called the Glass Trap. Yep. In Russia, it was called a hard nut to crack. Yeah, and apparently in hung in Hungary, it was called give your life expensive. Yeah, it it, it I got Finnish in, in in Finland. It's called literally translates to uh, only over my dead body. Uh, the, there's it's just so because you can't. It's hard in the vernacular to translate what die hard means at, in the. English. I mean, I don't even know what it means in English. <laughs> well, I guess the the, the I mean, those two words put together the sound cool, as far as I can tell. I think the logic is supposed to be it's hard to kill him, so it's like he's, yeah. it's 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 hard. To, they couldn't put hard to kill. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, already but, a movie. But, well, yeah, it's already a movie in development coming out in two years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking you to the bank. Somebody the, else. The, die the, hard too. Die harder. Blood bank. Die. Yeah. Die. Isn't that die harder? And then the, you know, leave three or die hard. Um, there's a whole bunch. I have to. See if we can figure out. See if we can come up with any of these other wacko uh, titles in it. Uh, but in the meantime, I think I'd love to. I'd love to spend at least a little bit of time talking about this subgenre that it uh, spawned. Yes, because yes! it has a lot of great sleepover classics, and I would love to hear you know your thoughts on what are some of your favorites. Um, list I, I was able to put together is Toy Soldiers. Okay, yeah. With Sean Astin. Sure. I think we were just talking about, uh, maybe it was privately, because the guy who plays the Wishmaster. Did you say Hungarian title? Your life is more expensive? And then the th- first the first Die Hard movie is in Hungary. It's Give Your Life Expensive. Then yeah. the sequel is Your Life is More Expensive. <laughs> then the third sequel is the life is always expensive. Those are the those are the sequels. Oh, I love the new Bruce Willis picture. <laughs> your life is expensive. Give your life expensive. Yeah, the, it's so. What does that mean? It's the give your life expensive box set. Yeah, that's the expensive <laughs> box set. I'm looking for the expensive box set. Sorry. Uh, so, Toy uh, Soldiers yeah, Under Siege. Under Siege, which is him on a battleship. Die Hard on a battleship. And of course, Under Siege Two. Uh, Die Hard on a train. 
Uh, Passenger 57. Die Hard on a Plane. Always been on black. Always been on black. Cliffhanger, one of my favorites. Die Hard, which we just got a request for. Uh, someone said recently, will you do Cliffhanger? And I'd like to put on record that that has been on the We've list. We've often talked yeah. about Cliffhanger. Every year we talk about maybe doing, doing Cliffhanger, cliffhanger and doing the, a couple of double, double headers that are mountain related <laughs> that we don't want to give away. <laughs> we don't want to. But yeah, so we've, we've been talking about doing uh, Cliffhanger. But yes, Cliffhanger is Die Hard on, an, on a Mountain. Speed. Speed, Die Hard on a Bus. Now, uh, here's one that I, if this is the movie I'm thinking of, I don't, I have to look up specifically the cast, but uh, No Contest, 1995 with Shannon Tweed. I love Shannon Tweed. I want to say, I think it's like at a beauty pageant. And I'm not positive, but I feel like well, it's it's they take over a beauty pageant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think sounds like a lot of nudity could. Enjoy. And I want to say that Andrew Dice Clay and Roddy Piper are in that movie, but they're in some Shannon Tweed movie. And in my head, I remember seeing the trailer. And what is it, Roddy Piper? Ro- Ro- um, is it Andrew Clay- Dice? Who's the? Who's, I think Clay's the. Is Bill Clay? <laughs> is William Clay in it? Andrew Clay. Clay. Sudden death. Sudden death, yeah, that's Die Hard in a an ice, uh, ice hockey ice game. Powers Booth drink. and um, we haven't been naming the heavies in all these movies either. Oh yeah, okay. Well, let's go back. <laughs> <laughs> let's start over. Who's <laughs> who's the heavy in Toy Soldiers? It's the guy who plays Wishmaster. I don't Wishes. know. Wishes Andrew. Um, we met him. Real nice guy, Andrew something. Under Siege, of course, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, and right. you got you got a trifecta there because you also have and Under Siege um, Two is Bogosi Eric Bogosian. The under siege, you also have crazy. Uh, who's lethal weapon? Crazy guy. Uh, I thought it was Joshua. Yeah, it's Gary Busey's Bruce. in that. And then there's an even even our friend Michael Debar. Debar De, um, De, uh, De is in uh, under siege somewhere. And I feel like there's a third guy that's a bad guy that's in there too. That was having you know was around that time. So that's yeah. The passenger fifty seven is that. Yeah, that, I don't know that guy's name, but he was in blind uh, guy. German, of course. Yeah, he was in and Highlander Endgame. Yeah, he was in a lot of stuff. Speed, Speed's the Dennis Hopper cliffhanger. John Lithgow. John Lithgow or John Lithgow, whichever way you if go. If no contest is the movie I'm thinking of, it's Andrew Dice Clay, but it might not be. So I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, yeah, you know, say the wrong thing. Sudden death, of course. You just said Powers Booth. Booth. I don't know this one. I've never seen it. I might have to check it out. Meltdown with Jet Li. Okay. 1995. Yeah. Apparently, there was another movie called Skyscraper with Anna Nicole Smith as the Bruce what Willis. What year is that? She's That's like opposite barbed wire. Remember, isn't barbed wire around that time with Pamela Anderson? Maybe they're like, she's done a picture. Put her in another one. But, <laughs> Executive decision. That's, classic. That's uh, David Suchet is the bad guy. Yeah, and then you have Steven Seagal and Russell. Kurt, Kurt Russell. Russell. And then there's another person in that, too, maybe. Uh Wow. And then there's even another that one. That has got a big cast because it's not just one guy goes. So there's like a whole yeah. John Leguizamo. John Leguizamo. Yeah, there's a team. That's uh, right. I feel like Holly Berry might be in that movie. Yeah, I think she, I think you're right. Holly Berry might also be the stewardess in Passenger 57. No, it's another uh, pretty African-American girl. Oh, I thought it was her. With short hair? It's, it's, is it What's Your Face? Is it? Um, I don't know what her Jada name Pinkett? is. Jada Pinkett. It was just on TV, so I was just recently was watching. Is Jada Pinkett of, a stu- Jada Pinkett? No, Smith. Not in Passenger Fifty Six. I feel like she's a stewardess in something. Uh, uh, Air Fo- uh, the Rock. Oh, the the, uh, the not the guy. The movie with yeah. uh, on Alcatraz. Uh-huh. So it's it's Die Hard on Alcatraz Island. Uh, that one I'm not sure about, but that was on the that was on some lists I saw because they're trying to break in terrorists take that island over. Well, it's like an American terror. I mean, it's yeah, like, it's it's there. Then they're gonna blow. I forget what they're. It's was it Creighton? No, Nicholas Cage is the good guy. 
Michael Bean's the bad guy. It's Ed Harris, maybe, is the crazy he's, guy. He's the crazy guy, yeah. Yeah, and, he, and he's like an ex-general, right? And he's going to take, the, he's taking it over for, he's going to blow up. He's got missiles or something. He's going to blow up San Francisco. Um, there's a Patrick Stewart movie where he play. I brought this up last year on the cast, where he plays a heavy, and it's a bunch of skateboarding kids. Like, he takes over, like, a reform school. <laughs> okay, yeah. And a bunch of skateboarding kids, like, save the day. Um, what other... Uh, Die Hard, a couple, Air Force One, Air Force One, Gary Oldman and Harrison Ford. Point That's blank good. with Mickey Rourke. Mickey, yeah. I forget who plays the bad guy in that one. Yeah, but here's a classic. Well, that this is not the one I was thinking of. Hmm. Which one? I might have written something down wrong. Uh, there's a movie again. Sean Astin. Yeah. On a mountain. Yeah. Ski resort. Ski resort. Oh crap! I want to say it's called the Icebreaker. Yeah. And heavy Bruce. Campbell. <laughs> Bruce Campbell's the <laughs> With bad a guy. shaved head. Shaved head Bruce Campbell. Does he have any facial hair? Nope. Wow. Just, uh, I want to say that's called Icebreaker. Uh, there's some Dolph Lundgren ones, Detention, yeah. and Command Performance. Those I didn't see. People say Snakes on a Plane. How about Turbulence? Remember that movie with Paul uh, Blart? <laughs> remember the turbulence with um, Ray Liotta as the crazy becomes the shining on a plane where like the plane's an autopilot yeah. and she's fighting. That's kind of diehardy. So what are your what what's a what are some of your favorite diehard uh, ripoffs like rip-offs. that? Um, I mean you've I think you've done a great job on nailing I tried. them all. There's some other ones. There's some, some I didn't see the movies like uh, Olympus Has Fallen and White House Down. Apparently I didn't see those, those recently. Uh, fall into a, a similar category, but I haven't seen it's White those. House under siege movies. Uh, I mean, you know, it's it's it it's successfully pioneered and and built this subgenre, this sub subgenre of of niche movies that it became very popular until, like we said, until like around maybe nine eleven, it wasn't in good taste to have kind of like terrorists be the heavies. But it always well, a movie like Under Siege, for instance. I mean, I think that movie for a short time propelled Steven Seagal into like another echelon of he went from being kind of B to being A minus. Yeah, that, because I think that was just that was the top of his height. Then got him you know on Deadly Ground. Well executive decision, which was like an A action movie. Yeah. You know? And it was like, oh Steven Seagal's in it and then spoiler alert he dies a half hour in. <laughs> he yeah. plays the Janet Lee of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's playing reprising Janet Lee's part in this Steven Seagal. Um, yeah, I mean. Speed was a huge hit. Oh, Speed was. The, and then also, I think, I Hand was, in Hand was MTV was helping and the speed, that. Speed 2. On a boat. The, yeah. There was a sequel to that with Willem Dafoe and Is it Jason Deep, Patrick. What's Deep Rising with... Um, uh, what's the one with Treat Williams and the and he's on a thingy? Is that like monsters or something though? I don't know. If it, yeah, it could be monsters. Oh, does it have to be terrible? Okay. <laughs> uh, I mean, sudden death, like you said. I, now these movies, uh, I've only seen Passenger Fifty Seven when it came out. I forget what I his, like Passenger Fifty Seven. But what what's his his motivation is that he's remember because at the beginning he's he's in handcuffs. So what he's gets they take him off. Remember, like it's. Uh, Wesley Snipes is on the plane, and this guy's with two different FBI they're agents. Pat, they're, he's like a—they're transporting. Yeah, and then he get—that's the—that's the. And then they shtick. took over the plane. Oh, okay. So he's taking over the plane because I'm trying to. What's the motivation? It's like sudden death, wasn't it? Like they were stealing something in the arena, Powers Booth and Van Damme at the stop. Like, I'm exec- going to a hockey game. I think things like executive decision and and Air Force, uh, not Air Force One, but maybe also Air Force One, but Passenger Fifty Seven are like terrorists being transported for trial or something. Yeah. You know, which is kind of the plot in some ways of Die Hard 2. Because aren't they trans... 
They're, yeah, though they're, they're bringing in like a general from that fake country that's that a commando. Italian actor from all those like western yeah, stuff. Yeah, very famous. I think he's in the Django movies. Uh, they're bringing him in from like Vero Verde or whatever that that South American country but is. But it's like a predator and commando. It's like the, they're all under the guise of, uh, you know, springing him from yeah. custody. Yeah, they're like know. ex-general. They're a faction intercepting. Yeah, and and and, and so you, so him. that's the subplot of some of these movies, and the other plot is just pure out robbery. Yeah, you know, or a kidnapping. I mean, lethal we- not lethal weapon. In Under Siege, they're taking over the battleship to make political demands. I think I forget. It's been so long since I've seen that they they're gonna blow some stuff off. What they have Scud and Tomahawk missiles and stuff. You know, b- a speed is what's I forget what what Dennis. Uh, I mean, he's a psychopath. But what's yeah, his, I mean, I think he's his motivation. Like a domestic terrorist. Yeah, something happened. He was has he a like a bomb or something? Of some sort because he got injured. Yeah, he, he has a hand that's all messed up. Don't play with gun bombs, <laughs> man. Uh, yeah, but then you have like uh, Black Sunday. I mean, was that is that a die? That's terrorist taking that. Not really. I would say they take a blimp over. I would say it's proto die. You know, uh, d- taking a Pella one two three. Yeah, that's the we're gonna write the book of. Walter Matthau as John McClane <laughs> of Die Hard. We're got going the, up there. Chapter one: the proto Die Hard movies. Then you have the Die Hard movies, and then the, the last third of the book is, is the, the other half. The re, the the look the lookalikes or whatever. Um, I mean, they're they're all. I can't say one of those is a bad movie. I saw Lethal Weapons one and two in the theater. Uh, not Lethal Weapons. I keep saying that. I saw one uh, Under Siege one and two in the theater. Uh, I've seen Sudden Death. I saw Cliffhanger in the theater. I saw uh, Speed in the theater. <coughs> I remember seeing Die Hard 2 Air in the Force theater. Air Force 1. I don't remember if I saw the first one. Because I have this thing, and I, I, I've talked about it when, we, when I did Teen Wolf with Patrick Bromley. Is I had this thing where my mom would take me to the movies, and we always missed the first 10 yeah. minutes of the movie. I mean, you told me this. In the class, thing, you have one that we're going to have to talk about when we get to it. Um, you never saw the beginning of something. I never saw the beginning of this until we were in college. Yeah. <laughs> It was the kind of thing where I, I'd seen it a bunch of times, but I don't remember ever seeing the beginning of Die Hard until I was fucking 19. The Serbian, Croatian, and Bosnian titles for this movie is Die Like a True Man, Literal Try. Is, li- the literal translation is Die Manly. And then the pirated VHS version back then was uh, in these countries was sell your skin at a high price. <laughs> People are going to think, what happened? Like there was a weird cut there. <laughs> Blake was talking about something. <laughs> Dion went to <laughs> Dion talking about the titles. <laughs> Somehow we got re- the editing yeah. got weird. <laughs> they, they clipped the wrong clipping, and then we're talking about Frank Sinatra movies. So what, what? Then you don't, and then you don't have any. What, there's a, but there's a movie that you said once we get to, we're gonna that you're gonna actually talk about. I don't remember. I, I know uh, Teen Wolf was it? Was it back? Uh, was it uh, Bill and Ted? Something like you didn't see the no Child's Play. Howard the Duck. Howard the That's it. Howard the Duck. You're, we're going to talk one day about Howard but the Duck. But I don't remember. I mean, I'm sure I must have seen the beginning of this movie because I saw it a bunch of times before college. But for some reason, I don't re- ever remember. Like, he's always already at the Nakatomi building. No, <laughs> in, that, my, that, well, in my memory. You're a half hour into it at that time. <laughs> like, he's like, he's at the front desk looking up his wife's name. It's like, oh, how generic. Like, that's how this movie starts, right? Uh, but classic. I mean, this is he, this movie is huge. Yeah, I mean, this is it, it's huge. It, it's it's amazing how much it, it took in this. That that uh, um, I mean, the music in this too, where it's like uh, Michael Kamen. Yeah. also there's knots to all kinds of other pieces of music. Of course, you got the Beethoven 
Oh, it's joy. Plays and, a huge and, part. And of I this love movie. how that—that's almost their theme. That if you listen, you can hear it on the cello. You can hear yeah, it a, yeah. a little subplot. He's even whistling it in the elevator. Um, Interesting you know. thing for the film music people. Uh, apparently, towards the end of the movie, because it's funny when we were watching it. Because I didn't know this until after we were watching. I was, and we were, then we did a little bit of research before we started recording. Was I always felt like at the end of the movie, the music doesn't feel. Oh, like it's like yeah. Die Hard. Well, to me, it doesn't feel like Michael Caine. There's no real theme to this. I was going to say, other than a, the Beethoven. Theme. Yeah, I mean, there's a great, there's great music. There's great cues. There's scenes where there's cues are amazing. You know that it's the Die Hard cue. Yeah. But there's no like kind of like Die Hard theme that they're going to play at the beginning or at the end. You have like the you know the Run DMC at the beginning. You have various different Christmas songs, but there's no real like waltz. So so you're right there at the end. All of a sudden, there is kind of like this other two cues of music, which are fascinating. That yeah. they're not. And I've, when we were watching it this time, and I never noticed it before, but this time maybe it's because now I'm watching it, having r- written a book about film yeah. music and having kind of dedicated the and last we were, four yeah. years to my life yeah. to studying film music. And I was like, man, this feels really weird. This music, and it turns out that they had used temp music. Yeah, at the end of the movie, and then they decided they liked it. Uh, and so they just kind of licensed. I think maybe both pieces were owned by Fox, so Fox just let them use it. But the when McLean and uh, Reginald uh, and Bell Johnson and, and Carl other, Winslow, uh, who's also let's not forget plays a cop before all this in Ghostbusters. Remember, he's like the cop that I think when they're in jail at the end. Uh-huh. So and then we also said there's a connection with Vigo from the second Ghostbusters, and he also plays a limo driver in Crocodile Dundee. Dundee. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but apparently when they see each other, and that was the piece of music. So I was like, this feels weird. This doesn't feel like Michael Kamen music. It's from the 1987 film Man on Fire. Yeah, which is the original. With the, the the composer is John Scott, and that's the original. I think that's Scott Glenn and Joe Pesci. And that movie then was remade by Tony Scott uh, in the early 2000s. And a lot of Scotts. Scott Glenn's character is Denzel Washington, and then Christopher Walken plays the Joe Pesci character. Because the composer's name is John Scott. And a lot of, they didn't know that day. They had a lot of, <laughs> lot of Scotts. You, Scott, is your name Glenn? Scott? Yeah. yeah come you, on this you, movie. You're on there. Joe Pesci, you're on there too. <laughs> and then you're right. And then when Carl comes back from the dead, Carl, uh, you have. Not what, Carl Winslow, but No, Carl with a K. Carl with the, 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 the Alex, Alexander Gudinoff. He his music that's an excerpt from, from Aliens. It's from Aliens, yeah. And that's who's that in Aliens? That's James Horner. Yeah, did Horner do that one? Yeah, because yeah. I think uh, that's the Goldsmith did the first one. Yeah, yeah, Horner did. And that so that always stuck out with me that like this movie, you know the you know the 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 heavy like orchestration, but there's never a big theme. There's just like you know the weather outside. Just it's just kind of like bumpered with Christmas music, which I love. Um, and but you're right. I mean, it's kind of the Beethoven's Ninth kind of does take the place yeah. of, the, of the theme, and it's it nice because it's cause in it there. Is a recurring. Yeah, if you listen to it music. subtly, like like I said, he's whistling it in the elevator. Uh, uh, the ensemble is playing it. Yeah, when he's in the ba- when he's in the bathroom, and when the right first before the, it all goes down, you can hear the band playing it in the, out in the party. And you see when they first see the vault, it's very low, like it's like an it's on it's on his mind, you know, and then finally when they open the vault, it's like fucking yeah. <laughs> you know. Um I love the before we start leaving the, the the couple of the weapons in this movie, there's the Beretta, which is very classic. It's a Beretta ninety two. Uh that is something you see Jesus, everybody in that in, in, in the late eighties was using a Beretta. Uh, the Beretta ninety two F is something that um 
you had the Italian Breda is an Italian company, and then they made the Breda 92, which is just an automatic handgun. And then when the military in America took it, they made it the 92F to make their own specifications. So F kind of means federal. And that's the gun that you see McLean using in this movie, and then you see Riggs using in Lethal Weapon. And then when they go uh, after that, there's a new modification called the Beretta FS, and there was a problem with the slide repeated use. With the, that's the, the thing on the top that fires back when a cartridge ejects. That was coming off after repeated uses, so they kind of made the hammer a little wider so the slide wouldn't come off. And the Beretta FS is still used today. It's one of the you know best handguns in the world, and it's in all these movies. That It became kind of a craze, I think, like in the 70s with the 44 Magnum with Die Hard. Uh, I mean, Dirty Harry, when you saw Riggs and McLean using uh, Berettas and this, everyone went out and bought a Beretta. And then I also like that the the little machine guns they're using, these German things, they're HK-94s or MP5s, they were brand new. They were considered like the Rolls Royce of like uh, small machine guns in the 80s. And uh, it it's great to see them using those weapons, those German weapons, because they kind of contrast the exotic European weapons to like the American, like M16s or whatever. Yeah. And it gives that exotic feel because then you see like in Lethal Weapon 2 with the South Africans, they're all using the MP5s and that becomes a very uh, like terrorism, quote unquote, gun you see in all these kind of movies. And then lastly, the gun that Carl's using, which I used to love as a kid, it's this Aus- Austrian gun called the Stig AUG. And it's a, it's interesting because the, clip is back it's put in where the stock is because i guess you know you you're designing these guns in the 70s and 80s like the uzi say for you know for urban combat so you don't want to have these big big rifles you want to make them smaller and smaller so the idea of that design here is that you know it's small enough that, so if you put the you're going to have the stock anyway so if you put the clip back in the stock it yeah. has this kind of exotic look and you know it's great you see him putting it together in the you know in the elevator to go after uh, McLean and, and the clip is almost plastic so you can see the bullets going up how much you have left and since everyone else is using these MP5s he's using this exotic big yeah. ass weapon and, and it they they talked about that they wanted it to be kind of ultra realistic. So you have these big muzzle blast flashes, these big you know yeah, different kind of sounds. Had to get special blanks because McTiernan had a very specific look that he wanted the muzzle yeah. blast to look like, but it also made them exceptionally loud. Yeah, and apparently one Alan Rickman was uncomfortable with the sound, and apparently, uh, reportedly. Bruce Willis still has hearing, hearing loss. loss due to making die hard. Yeah, because when he's sitting, the, particularly the scene when he's underneath the coffee, the, the the table, and he shoots fifteen, and the the gun is so close, you see the actual cartridges hitting his face, bouncing off, but it's so close to his left um, ear that he still says he has hearing loss from that. And the great thing about the Beretta, the Beretta that I liked is that since I'm left-handed, it's very interchangeable. You know, it's very easy. Some of these guns are made for a right-handed world where the Breda, it's very easy. You can have you can put the, the clip eject on either side or the slide uh, lock. And I think even uh, Robert Patrick from the T-1000 and Terminator 2 is using a Beretta. Um, so I like that it's an, it's it's ambidextrous. That that gives me some points. But, yeah, you're right. Everybody, you know, it's like the, the, the violence and the it's so loud. They didn't want to also, I think, just use stock. Um, gunshot sounds that you see Michael Mann ends up going away from in the 90s. They went and actually shot all these weapons to get the sound effects to have um, to use these, and uh, you know, to put overlay them in the movie. Uh, and then I wonder now if anybody gets the um, 
the references to John Wayne, to Grace Kelly, High Noon, you know, yeah. you know, Roy Rogers, all that kind of stuff. It's really like a, uh, you know, it's kind of like a, a, you know, it's it's a time capsule, like you know, we might get it back then, but now it's a little out of date, you know. Yeah, you know, it's. Uh, uh, yeah, so it was fun, you know, and then I always remember too, you know, the last shot of this when he's like, when they get into the limo and he she knocks out the the reporting, she, you know, he's like, I. Uh, if this is your idea of Christmas, I, I I can't wait to see what they do for New Year's. And it always cuts back. Then from that shot, you see him walk around the car and get in, and they kiss and they drive away. That was always like you know squeezed because it was widescreen. Yeah. You know, it's funny at the beginning of this they have like a stretched 20th century. I don't know if they did that on purpose, but they put the stretched one on so it looks weird. Yeah. You know, and I think there was a there was a story with with Predator right that the Predator they wanted to shoot a certain way and they wouldn't let him so he took like the the like you know one three five and they put you know yeah, anamorphic wanted, and he, he put wanted it on to shoot anamorphic and they wouldn't let him so but this one he did shoot anamorphic it's beautifully constructed I mean John you know, McTiernan did a great job I, I can't off the top of my head I don't remember who the direct photography is but it's someone we we just talked about recently there's a lot of really you beautiful know? movement and there's in yeah there's a lot of, and especially the angles too high above and stuff a lot of the capturing of like their scenes where they take some license like after he cuts his feet and you see high above they place the camera so they're looking for if he's around. Like there's there's a lot of great shot compositions. It has a style, you know, a visual style you know, to it that I don't think you get with a lot of the action movies yeah. from the eighties. Especially when you watch it right widescreen, it's in its original ratio format. It's beautiful, just the shot composition, the rule of thirds, and how they're just having stuff. And then even another thing I, I was saying is, what's his face was probably like uh, having a freaking boner in this was J.J. Uh, Abrams because all the lens flares, you yeah. know, how he's Which all were intentional. Lens. Yeah, yeah, you it's know, all they that. Seem like like mistakes, but they were the, the the director of photography would put lights so that they would flare because the so, back half of this movie is all lens flares, and when they start putting up all the because typically uh, they do their best to yeah. hide that because they don't want to draw attention to the fact that this is a movie. Yeah, but it add, does add subconsciously a little bit of realism, I think, to things for an audience and to feel like that when they're setting these lights up or when they cut the power and all that, and they have the you know they have all the, the the emergency lights on. You get a lot of those lens flares in every scene, and you know I, I think everybody does a great job of the movie. Alan Rickman, Bruce Willis, uh, the whole supporting cast. It's really fun. Bonnie Dahlia. Yeah, it's and it's a great Christmas movie. You know, ushering in the Christmas season. Big 80s hair. Yeah. Uh, teased. Awesome looking. <laughs> you know, I'm sure that'll come back soon. And, uh, you know, for the 30th anniversary of it, uh, I hear they're even now talking about as back as um, in August of this year, they're talking about they're going to reboot it somehow. And there's speculation that it's going to be like a prequel and that it's going to be a prequel where Bruce Willis and his wife cameo in it, maybe. And then it's like a flashback, you know. And, and so, and then Bruce Willis may even have kind of a say in who gets cast in McLean, so I don't know. So we'll have to see what happens. Yeah, you, you know, know, there's other things like my, the problems I, I have with, my notes up. <laughs> with the third movie and that really bugs me that uh, they're not together anymore. I know, yeah, there's, 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 there's <laughs> a mention that, of it. After all he did for you. Yeah, Jesus two, Christ, two, two movies, movies he saves your ass in. He blows a plane, he lands, it's the plane to leave and because it's going to run out of gas and all that. And that's another movie where, you know, Die Hard 2 maybe we'll get around to in years to come. For years, I didn't like that movie, and then uh, I finally watched it uh, three or four years ago, and I, I came around and said, you know, this isn't a bad movie. I've been yeah, giving yeah. it like a, a, a raw deal to all these years because I, I thought it was a shitty... seeing it at the theater and thinking it was good, liking it, 
and then having years like you where I was like, oh, this doesn't really hold up so well. Yeah. And then watching it somewhat recently, like, you know what, this is actually yeah. pretty Yeah, fun. it's good. It's And it's it's got the same soundtrack. It's got a lot of the same people reprising their roles. Uh, William Sadler is great in it. Uh, we talked about John Amos a couple weeks ago. He's great in it. It's got a lot of great people. Robert Patrick's in it. So it's it's fun. Uh, what's his face? Fred Thompson. Got a lot of good people in it. <sighs> so this was fun doing. It was good seeing, you know, it's one of these movies where I've seen so much as a kid. I know it word for word that it's like, it's good to sometimes, like the old blues song says, like, I got to put you down for a little while and give you a rest. You know, I can't quit you, baby. So it's like, it's good to come back and see this, but I don't know when the next time I'm going to come back to this. It might be a couple of years before I revisit this. Yeah. You know. When we redo it on yeah, the show. Yeah, when we, when we go back and do the best of. Part two. So um, let's see. To round this up, we're in the Christmas season. Please check us out on Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Uh, like our comments. You can check out our back catalog if you can't get enough of us. We're, we're, we've got a crap load now. Uh, some classic Christmas episodes you can check out. Yeah, we have all kind of uh, different genres at this point. You can like us on all that stuff. You can follow us. You can suggest us. You can tweet us. You can retweet us. You can like our comments. Uh, I got a book out now, Blood in the Streets. It's on audiobook. It's on paperback it's on uh ebook you can get it on amazon uh you can get a, a copy autograph for me if you want um it's a great stocking stuffer for the christmas season if you like 70s cop movies it's kind of a cop thriller historical fiction please check it out uh that blood in the streets is on instagram it's on facebook and it's on twitter as well follow me there to find updates uh and you know my site dion Baya. i'm not my site but you know it does have a website but i meant you can follow me as well on facebook and all that other stuff and of course uh, scored to death on uh, at scored to death on so all social medias most social medias twitter instagram facebook the book scored to death conversations with uh, some of horror's greatest composers scored to death the podcast i'm also going to start doing a uh at the end of this month, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to start. I'm going to take over as the host of Ooh. the Damn Fine Network's uh, horror music show called Cuts from the Crypt. So you can hear me play DJ once a month, and I'll be playing some of my favorite horror movie themes. Damn Fine. Uh, <laughs> Damn Fine Network. Yeah. The show's called uh, Cuts from the Crypt. Uh, and then that'll be available on iTunes and all that stuff. Sweet. And also... That starts in January? That starts at the end of, uh, end of December, so just a couple of weeks. Sweet. And, uh, and uh, also, the second Scored to Death book coming in 2020. Woohoo! <laughs> and you already have the first one, and you have the podcast as well and all yeah. that stuff. So continuing the good work I've been doing with Scored to Death. Sweet. And with then another book coming in sometime in 2020 i'm working on it right now that's exciting that's very exciting so we got all kinds of stuff going on check us out we'll be back in two weeks for another christmas extravaganza before the end of the year then we're closing out 2018 with a bang it's gonna be fun and uh we'll be back before you know it so merry christmas blake same to you later <laughs>